This is Naoki Yoshida. This is Fern Hall. And you are listening to Aetherite Radio. Aetherite Radio. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Lorecast from Aetherite Radio. Joining us today, we've got Zanidra, Aldino, Rook, I'm Fusion X. Also, because it's a Lorecast, we have the uh, winner uh, from Team Heidelin. Uh, we have uh, Anonymous. Welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> uh, so uh, originally, our plan was we're gonna do we're gonna do five point five. It's gonna be the part one, the part two, the Yorha, the the Zadnor. This is the the Yorha, the there's Zadnor. So like people are like, what the hell are you talking so about? Uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. So um, our our incomplete outline right now is like 11 or 12 pages. Uh, so we have made the, I think, very wise decision. Uh, we're going to break this into two episodes. So today uh, is going to be MSQ spoilers. This is going to be all of 5.5. Next week, uh, June 12th, we're going to be talking about Yorha and Zadnor. So... Lots of lore. I hope you guys are are ready for lore because we have we have we have some. It's I feel like a little bit. bit of lore in Final Fantasy it's just, 14. It's it's not a whole lot. You gotta oh, really like, scrounge like for s- it. But some things happened. Like it's an you easily know. easily manageable amount. I definitely remember all of it. <laughs> yeah. I go. mean, I hope so because yeah, none of us have played the content. Except so this for, is all except for that one uh, thing. All right off the top of my head, I definitely don't right. have any notes. oh there's a lot i mean honestly it's funny because we were first talking about doing all this i was like yeah we'll just do it all in one go that's fine and then when we started breaking it down and fusion's like looking at the outline and the pages are going on and on and on and i was sitting there going oh i guess there was like so much stuff i guess the field notes alone from boja are intense uh yeah maybe we should not be here for 10 hours in one day plus we have the the previous uh the previous five stuff 5.5 stuff yeah like i mean just just kind of like trying to bullet point the entirety of the msq took me like a couple hours like just just like just so many things yeah so many things like i was saying uh, i had to go back and watch that because i had done most of it watch it and i'm like you know like uh transcribing it almost and i'm like why what is happening there's so much uh-oh oh, no oh no oh, rook rook come back there was too much. There was too much lore. Place. Oh no! So let's see. So uh, Moose is now me. me. Moose is his microphone Finally. and Aldino's <laughs> shoulder. Uh, Aldino, Aldino is still himself. Congratulations. Hey. Anitra is still herself. Uh, and I uh, am my, my usurpation oh. is complete. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! It, it. Oh oh. Ooh. It'll come back to normal. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Because Ro- Rook I'm was Anitra. I went to the void, but I'm back now, and I'm fine. I think I don't how, know. There's this weird ghost, and it keeps possessing me. How 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 was the void? I just we, it's been a while since we've heard dark. You know, I thought it was gonna be dark, depressing, scary, spooky, but it turns out Koji Fox was just in there, and he gave me a hug, and oh. now he's with me everywhere I go. Oh, so is he the ghost? He's, just, he's the ghost. <laughs> he's the ghost. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I, I, I would have been like that's on how long it's going to be before someone has an official mod that turns oh, the reaper avatar like, into koji don't use third-party things yeah. but like also give me but, that yes. 
uh, yeah, nobody's nobody's paid the electric bill in the void yet. Still, still pretty dark over there. Um, mm. uh, real quick, super tiny bit of news. Uh, right now, if you know anybody that is not playing Final Fantasy fourteen, the MMO that now has a free Shame trial up to level seventy with critically acclaimed <laughs> expansion, I was worried. Uh, you can get it sixty percent off uh, until June 9th. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's Complete Edition, that's Shadowbringers, Collector's Edition, all of that stuff. So if uh, you don't have that, go ahead and uh, pick that up. Obviously, though, if you're listening to us, there's probably a good chance that you, you have all of that and you are also hopefully caught up on the MSQ because we're going to be talking oh, oh, a lot oh, yeah. about that Is today. It's one of the times where I get like yelled out on Twitter if I don't immediately tell you that you said 70 instead of 60. Did yes. I? What? You did say wow. 70 for just a second. I mean, it's okay, Fusion. 60. But, you know, we want to make sure. 60. 60. I'm, you know, I'm getting forgetful in my old age. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, uh, we're just going to jump into things here. So this will be MSQ. This will be spoilers. Lots of spoilers. Like like everything spoilers. And then like we're going to go under the spoilers and look at more spoilers. Um, so many race cars with spoilers. Um, and we're just, we'll just, we'll get in it all, all MSQ today. Um, all right. So, uh, much to my disappointment, Thancred and Rianje returned from their trip to Garlemald. We talked about this a little bit. We're like, maybe, maybe they don't come back. Why you hurt my voice? Why are you like this? Rianje is cuter than ever. He is coming back. He is so good. They've been building him up since Shadowbringers. His nerdy little dialogue gives me life. His Shakespearean nonsense is the best fusion. So I'm very glad. Now, thank God I could take her leave, which I know (laughs) is going to be sad about. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, everybody. No, um, they're both great. They're both great. Wow. How can you you not? I'm glad this is a lore podcast because shit. How can you not love Thancred after his little side story mm-hmm. where he basically chose save the world versus have family? That is, he he has that bad that bad scuzzy boy exterior, but he got that heart of gold. He's he's I mean, he's true. also deep down. He has like the the aura of a beastmaster. He's got that little nutkin that follows him around whenever he he wants mm-hmm. to like take a bath or just frolic in the in the woods naked. Whatever, whatever. You can't judge his specific. Is. Where he frolics naked. You can't. You know, <laughs> just let him be free. You know, let him right. do his thing. I do have to say, I did like Thankred the best when he was a nudist, I think. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, just... I, I actually do like Thankred. I am still carrying a little bit of residual bitterness over what an absolute dillweed he was to poor Reen initially sure. in the story. But mm-hmm. for good reason. And I do think that, like, coming out strong, again, some of that great characterization that we've seen for all of them has just been, they're just building on it, going straight into mm-hmm. the MSQ. I love seeing all the little things. I'm clicking on every single character to get their tiny yeah, tidbits of dialogue because it's just so good now. I, I kind of want, like, this is, this is a little bit of a tangent. I do apologize for everyone that's like, lore! I totally want a side quest with the Nutkin now that, like, is, like, scaring off nudists or something now. Like, can we get a quest <laughs> like that? Is that a thing? Like... That'd be amazing. Can we have anyway. the shooting minigame, but we shoot nutkins at nudists? Yes. <laughs> I mean, there is, like, the whole little side quest thing where you have to chase off the creepers at the hot springs. Mm-hmm. 
So I think we can do something like that. That they play at Erisian birthday parties. Pin the nutkin on the nudist. We'll get new Moogle quests where you like ship the nudist nutkins. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel really good about this lore cast already. I think we're doing great. <laughs> or we just get the full nutkin bodysuit and we go to the hot springs. Anybody that, that decides not to wear garments, we're just like, all right, we got to hold. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we're here to help. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so. Weird. It's th- all me. <laughs> Thank you, and Uriyanji. Return from their trip in the Garlemald <laughs> and they immediately define Magitek wrong. Yeah, I, I just I literally added that note to this thirty seconds ago because it was the first yeah. thing that like re- like I had to stop playing five minutes after I started playing to go fact check Thancred. <laughs> and he's horribly about, wrong. He's not the I smart one. <laughs> I don't. Frankly, I I don't know how wrong he is, but it like it it we skew it for today because I think Fusion might have been with me at one of the one of these interviews, but like um, oh probably. Thancred is like, yeah, it's like it's 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 Garlean technology, but it like manipulates ether. So you know, Magitek, which is kind of Final Fantasy VI rules a little bit, but like back in the day when we were first told about Magitek, we were told that it was just like using technology to overcome anything magical at all. So you were right. using missiles instead of fire. You were using you know ceruleum fuel instead of ethereal propulsion. It was supposed to be called Magitek because it transcended and replaced. It triumphed over magic. It didn't recreate it. Um, like that was the difference. And back then that felt weird because we had come off of Final Fantasy VI and we had to like train ourselves. Yeah, yeah, don't think about it like Final Fantasy VI. And then Thancred just walks in in the first five minutes like, hey, did you guys see Garlemald? Final Fantasy VI? So it's like, yeah, I, I immediately had to go wander away and check that uh, check that out. That's, but hey, maybe maybe that's how it works now. Maybe. You know, I mean, I mean yeah. you got to make little little adjustments for, for future content sometimes. The it up. I was yeah. going to say, it could also have something to do with the changes in Garlemald yeah. in the past few years. And we right. know that particularly, oh, is it Sissiness? Sissy Pants? The yeah, one that's the big scientist who's been doing a lot of different things um, that have been taking us again closer and closer to that emulation of magic, right? So things <laughs> that right. we have with like hyper tuning and mm-hmm. um, the artificial echo and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's that they have like redefined themselves in a sense with kind of that direction and maybe even, you know, the machinations of Asians, where that magical integration or, you know, trying to emulate or surpass what others can do with magic is now something that they themselves are trying to do, or at least the people in charge are trying to do to some extent. So I can see that too, but it's definitely not, it's not presented as such, you know, it's not like he sits there and he's like, once upon a time, it was all technology, but now Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> well, it's a snarky, it's a snarky way to bring the idea forward. But like, I think it shows how far Gar- Garlemald has come because our own technology has come pretty far. I mean, like, look at where we were, where we were super impressed with like the chimney juggernaut walking through the forest. And now we've got like all this Omega tech that we were able to like counter all of Omega's stuff with Sid's stuff. And like our, our own technology's come a long way. So... I think it highlights how far Garlemald has come since back when they couldn't get um, Alagon stuff working properly, so they just right. gutted it and put a Cerulean engine in it, which was like it's, it's, earlier this year, kind of in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny as soon as you say we've come so far with technology, my mind immediately jumps to the, uh, the what was the, what do they call like the kettle in uh, in the oh. Omega raids? <laughs> Remember they made like the little 
like the ironworks got all like boiler master yeah the, the boiler master. master we've come yeah. so far <laughs> i actually loved that i don't even know why it was such an excessive thing that didn't even need to be in there and because of yeah. that i was extra delighted and i love coffee so and stuff too but yeah. i mean it is kind of a nice way to show that technological improvements right we see them a lot of times even in our own world on a large scale or something that's like very privatized or something that's like behind the scenes but when magic starts or magic oh my gosh when magic in real life starts trickling down <laughs> when yeah. technology in real life starts trickling down to where it affects the everyday the mundane um where it's something where people are using it consistently and regularly in their own lives that in and of itself is a different step and evolution and how it's being integrated into yeah. lives and dispersed we all have um, tricorders in our pocket now that's mm -hmm. true i mean i, I, I i'm old-fashioned i still carry around an abacus um mm. that's but, adorable mm. you better be able to just like produce that right now please <laughs> I need to see you, it. You know I'm making this up. Like, <laughs> oh, really disappointed. It was a joke. Buy him an abacus. Pick up, pick up an oh abacus app for your phone. <laughs> Next time. It would um, work. I'm sure there is one. I'm sure. Know. I'm sure. I'm sure there is yeah. one. Um. All right. So Uriyashi <laughs> and Thakur come back from Garibald. We're still, we're still on bullet point one. This is going to be a great episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, this was a wise decision. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you learn from Lys that the mysterious towers that have appeared uh, seem to be tempering people, uh, but not for serving primals, but Garlemald. So that's that's new. That's yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it did okay. give me gave me some questions. You know, I mean, it's interesting because usually tempering as a force does seem to be something that's like. Yeah, this this concentrated idea, prayer, energy, or whatever that gives shape to a manifestation of it, and then that manifestation exerts kind of that same like pattern over others to some degree. Mm -hmm. So to have this like additional thing here where somebody else could consciously direct that and like use it in a sense is uh, really interesting. Um, and I mean, it just gave me a lot of questions in the moment where I was kind of going like, well, who specifically is the one doing this? Right. Like, is it one person? Is it like something more with the channeled will of certain people? Or, you know, how does this all pan out? Um, and how could it be weaponized? And yet it's also interesting that at the same time we get this kind of diminishing of the stakes as well because we got the porksies and things like that. Yeah. So it's like there's this malevolent force that's acting with intention, um, which is threatening but then there's also this balance now where it's like well if we can just get people they'll be fine a pickle snort on them and yeah. like <laughs> we'll be okay <laughs> uh to me like it really makes me think about the first now i think about the first probably too much honestly <laughs> i really do love the first i wish we had more lore about it i can't wait to see what we can get but to me it's similar to what elidibus did with the warrior of light it's an ideal that happened to have uh, personification in the Warrior of Light. But really, he was just like, you want to save the world, send me your hopes, you know? And it was kind of similar to, I, you know, for the glory of Gollumald, you know, to save our world. It was, it was kind of similar. So to me, it's like, is that something that they knew they could do forever? Is that something new? Did Fandaniel know that strat and decide to enact it or what? Yeah, that's... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, go. You, you, you go. You go. Oh, okay. Um, 
for me, it just came, like it primarily came down to which of two which of two possibilities was more likely, um, because now that they've given kind of an explanation for what tempering is, that can inspire a lot of ideas of how to do that in other ways. So the obvious answer is they've found a way to concentrate some kind of psychic force and project it through the towers onto other things. So there's there should be one will at the center of it like logically speaking, but they've also given this explanation for tempering where it's just like, oh, you know, like something overrides your spirit by making it more umbral and more passive. So can they just artificially do that without that central core will now is another question. Um, I think bringing up like, what does Fan Daniel know is an interesting question. Cause back in the day, Elidibus was trying to keep everything kind of escalating equally in balance. Mm -hmm. He wanted things going slow enough that he could control it. And then one day someone would do something stupid and trigger a calamity. Whereas Fan Daniel's just like, yeah, throw it all at the wall. Every trick we got, everything we know, I just want everything to blow up. So he doesn't have any reason to hold back. So he might know stuff we don't. And he yeah. also, uh, when when things fail, he doesn't care. He's like, ah, yes, yeah. this thing that I just spent a month setting up has failed. Whatever. Yeah. Next thing, guys. So how much yeah. does he have? So my question, though, um, which is very much what Charles said, but in like a, a dumb, uh, a four dummy sentence, who is Garlemald? Uh Sure. <laughs> Cause I mean, if, that's if, the uh, thing, right? Why is Garlemald? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Well, because because if if uh, things are being if people are being tempered uh, by the old rules to to create something, you know, who quote unquote is Garlemald? Sure. Where is that energy going? Who that's is, that's a good question, that? right? What because use that energy. That that's one yeah. way to look at it, right? Is is so, there yes, dumb, dumb dumb phrasing? But yeah, who, quote is, unquote, is is Garlemald? there is there a a, a Garlemald entity? Right? Is this like primal yes. too? That just happens to also be named Garlemald. I don't know. I mean, but, it's kind of fascinating. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Fusion. Go ahead. I, but I was going to say, you know, the idea of, you know, you look at just all the types of summons and stuff we've had in the past. And it's it's that idea of just, like, worship and believing in something. So to go from, like, a god to, like, a nation, it, it doesn't feel like that big of a stretch. But obviously sure. it's something different than, than we've had in the past. So. Mm-hmm. They did. I mean, they did set this up a little bit when we went to do that field mm-hmm. parlay, um, and and talk to Vares, and he was kind of like yeah. throwing all of our nation's flaws in our mm-hmm. face. Like one of the things that they did comment on was like for you know for a um, a country that has such disdain for religious beliefs, their worship of the emperor is borderline religion. And the that's, way that's that not. They, yeah. So they set this up like they're there. That might be what they're tapping into and the way they're doing it, it might yeah. just be novel. And and we kind of have seen that before in heaven's word. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. if, if we're looking for comparisons, I think that's a very good one to make. Yeah. I mean, are, are you... okay. So you're talking about Thornton. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I would okay. Assume. I was thinking, um, the, the results at the end of Balesar's wall, that, that whole dungeon and storyline. Mm. Uh, you get a bunch of people really behind Alamigo, right? So all of that energy kind of comes to fruition in Shinryu? 
question mark? Yeah, I mean, and the and the agony and sad, like there's there's this yeah. like struggle and despair that kind of weighs into Shinryu. But I mean, we have seen the idea of nationalism represented in the game extensively, right? Like sure. Ishgard's faith is a huge thing, but around that there is the actual like very real social political structure of the church, of the noble families that support it. And like that in and of itself draws from a lot of different eras where like the church was power in the real world, you know? Right. And there could be things like that where a holy crusade as an idea is not something that we haven't seen before. Um, the same with Stormblood. I mean, we have different reflections of nationalism as well. Alamigo reclaiming a lost homeland, Doma and, you know, all of the rebuilding and all that kind of stuff. Um, even Hien, whose whole story kind of has to be with, like, has to do with coming full circle in accepting again his place in this culture, this nation, this history. So we see it used a ton. And it's mm. interesting to me because like this particular shenanigan that's happening out of everything that we've sort of seen reminds me most of Louis Suarez summoning actually. Sure, right. Like the idea of on a mm -hmm. large scale mobilizing some kind of fervent belief. And that's always been something that's really interesting to me. I mean, obviously binding coils happened. Um, and, you know, we know that the Twelve in some form seem to have been around. There were these religious sites that Louis Swan made use of. So it's not like, you know, I had this moment briefly where I was like, maybe when Louis Swan manifested the Twelve, they tempered the people of Eorzea, and they've been believing in the Twelve since then because, and I was like, no, all those religious sites existed before. And like, there seems to be some kind of thing there. But we know that our next 24 man is going to do deal with the Twelve or that church or something with it, those myths. So it's interesting to me because um, Garlemald as an ideal is just like any other fervent belief you can hold, you know, a country, a system, a structure, what that represents to the people. And yet I couldn't help but feel from these towers themselves that again, it was less like, yes, the template of Garlemald is being used to sort of like enslave minds, but I agree with everybody in the sense that there feels as though there is more of a single will behind this. Something like if you know, somebody's able to manifest a primal um, like Shinryu and Xenos, you know, pushing that idea further where you could guardian force it or whatever it is, could mm -hmm. you actually temper other spirits to your own cause? Could you do those things? Um, and what would sort of happen or like, what did the ancients even know of that was tempering something that was of concern to them? Like, that's another thing that I've had a lot of questions about where we mm -hmm. get maybe snippets, but like... <laughs> We're not totally right. sure how those forces were used or employed or, mm -hmm. you know, what it means for a single will to drive something like that and then use it for a purpose. Get off the beaten path and into the kind of the unconfirmed for a minute. Um, sure. The way you phrase that is, is actually like causing a cascade in my head right now. Like when when we look at the the way the story was told like yoshida confirmed that like full day theory that we were doing like the mm -hmm. dawn into the afternoon into the evening into the night and then back to the dawn again and in this second telling of a dawn story we're seeing like you said like um louis Wah tapped into all sorts of different places on the planet to bring one thing together and now i'm going to be on the lookout to be like oh can we see some parallels there like narrative mm -hmm. symmetry like that would be really satisfying even if it wasn't intended like now i kind of want right. to read that in um i think the only hint we have is one thing that was like going through chat a minute ago um is when they refer to quote unquote the dreamer mm -hmm. yes that there is 
like I thought it was Xenos at first because of the way mm-hmm. that they were talking. And then when you read it in different languages, there's little hints that it's, that they're both talking about a third party entity that they both know what it is. Um, in French, especially, Fan Daniel turns around to the tower and he's like, yes, my dreamer. And he's talking to the tower. So whatever is like, is it the tower? Is it in the tower? And then you know, right afterwards, you hear this like screech, but the screech in a really conspiracy laden way sounds like anima. You know, there, yes. there was a, a, a image comparison. I saw that I was like, no. And now it's like, oh, Okay, go into that tower. You see, you know, wherever it is, right, the prisoners or whatever that have been kidnapped that are being used to summon. Not unlike the Wall of the Faith in Final Fantasy X. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I mean obviously, I love... Anima is from X, uh, you know, sure. whether or not that has any hard connections or not. Uh, but, oh, yeah, okay, that, that, that got... like, clicks for me now. <laughs> I've got people on every side. I've got people like, it's the dream, it's the screech, it all makes sense. And then I've got people who have just taken all that for granted and they're trying to figure out how and why Xenos' mom is Anima. And then I've got people who are like, man, that's just a generic pig screech. Like, they use that in 50 games. Like, that's nothing. It's just it's just a mother porksy. It's, she, she went out for a walk. Like, oh, it's, it's fine. It's the daddy porksy. Oh, no. <laughs> Ugh. I'm sorry. Oh. Uh... <laughs> 40 minutes I mean, into our I broadcast do. and yeah, we are on bullet there's... point two two yeah. yeah i started i of course immediately went because anima's always been a summon that i actually really think is cool right. like yeah, i right. i really loved anima from 10 i think the design the ideas in it are so cool and and interesting and um just feels complex and nuanced in a way that you know maybe some of the more you know i am fire you know primals mm-hmm. don't always encompass which i love if it's my boy don't get me wrong but it is interesting here because even as we look through, right, so the mother connotations and things, that is a real thing. But, like, the summary here, Anima is the physical manifestation of a dream of a specific faith. In this case, Seymour's mother, whose real name remains un- unidentified, right? So there's, there definitely, I think, are some connections there with the idea of a dreamer and the idea that, you know, Anima has this connection to being almost a manifestation of a dream. But again, Zed, I keep thinking about what you were saying with the who is Garlemald in this sense, because unless we're just assuming that this is a facade or like channeled energy that they're just sort of using for funsies, um, then it could be somebody that specifically, for whatever reason, is sending this out, like you were saying, um, Anonymous, like sending it through them to disperse across the land. So maybe somebody that is in a deep sleep or somebody that, for whatever reason, would have some kind of manifestation of the ideals of what Garlemald is or, um, gosh, I don't know, old emperors. I'm like, my first brain was like a clone of Emmett Selk. Uh, you know, like there's well, so many weird, you know, weird right. things that you could get if, into if, here. If we, yeah. if we want to try and, and Final Fantasy this, right, what could sure. be this, this force? Garland. Right, bring okay. bring in Garland as a primal. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, right now at least, are kind of theorizing that if if Xenos is a Reaper, he needs to have his his little huggy void scent, mm-hmm. which could maybe be Anima. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting too because Can't then hug if chained. Right, but there's there's also like that theory too of like, well, what if like that that void scent avatar for Reaper is like our the part of us on the thirteenth. Or something like that. So, Here we go. like, <laughs> oh no, the brain, it is hey. getting big. Um, yeah, that one. 
Ugh. So obviously Xenos has been having these dreams, right, of the final days, which means he has some kind of connection to all, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, so that could imply that maybe he also has, you know, shards of himself. What if Anima is one of Xenos's shards? The struggle for me is they've told us 200 things are sleeping in Garlemald right now. <laughs> like, um, okay, so for one, you... Are there any, like, Emmet Salt clones sitting around? The first mm-hmm. emperor, the emblem of the empire. Is that something that's involved? We know Varys is taking a permanent dirt nap now. We know um, that he... At least they buried him. On the language, that's nice. Hmm? At least they, at least they yeah. buried him. If, if it's at a dirt nap now. Like, cut to an ambiguous scene of someone spitting on his coffin. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh no, the body's gone. Oh no. Fan Daniel Fan Daniel in certain languages refers to Zodiac as sleeping. Um mm. yeah. every everything to do with Garlemald is kind of slumbery right now in a way. Xenos is dreaming mm. and uh, I can't I can't figure out which one is the, the real one. Right. There's so, a lot of possibilities, but it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Dumb theory. Dumb, not yeah. really this isn't true at all theory. Um the dreamer is is Titus, and that guy in Lower Lenosha who claimed to be Titus back in the day, he wasn't lying. Man. Oh, oh my god, uh, you're right. No, he's oh, no, he's 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 not lying. Lion is in Zadnor. Oh my god, <laughs> his name Torquem. I do not remember his name. <laughs> Definitely Titus. Tra- Tracatoon. I, I feel bad. I feel bad because my wife has actually been playing through that story again, and I saw him the other day, and I just I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's got the little little chocobo tattoo on his cheek and Leviabetus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there's right. yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on, you know? There's a lot going on with this. Um whatever those towers are doing, I mean obviously we've seen some of the implications. But I am curious too on a larger scale where this technology came from you know is this something that was a result of garlemald's research that's been you know perpetrated by assians to some degree that was Was interesting when they came up yeah yeah like is this actually like a technique or something or some sort of ancient magic that was used is this like it it does seem like i mean we've talked about before that kind of synthetic organic design and the like giger Mm. art elements and stuff like that but the the stuff that kind of ties into void things as well but it is very interesting that um, it does seem to have come from nowhere. And like I've seen Chad say or other people say, you know, like, why not do this before and just, you know, cut to the chase and just obliterate yeah, exactly. different you know, stars. So it does seem as though various things had to come together for this or there was some reason they wouldn't want to do this. So I'm curious mm-hmm. about why now? Like, what exactly caused this is just because Fan Daniel's like, whatever, YOLO. <laughs> and that's just kind of what he's doing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be curious when we we get. I mean, obviously we've we've seen some screenshots of some of the dungeons and stuff in Ed Walker, and one of them looks very much like it's going to be inside of one of the towers, because um, you know they 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 show up at the end of the last patch. They're like, oh, they're clearly of Garlean architecture. I'm like, they're clearly a void architecture. What are you talking about? <laughs> they look nothing like the stuff from Garlemald we've seen. So I'll be really gonna... curious to see what what the deal is with those. I'm going to toss out a real wild tinfoil hat theory here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put Uh-oh. my tinfoil hat on. If there is, and I'm still very much on the fence about this, right? The idea of whatever <laughs> caused the sound in ye olden times, whether or not it's like an actual physical entity or it is something else that was at play that's a more abstract concept, I don't know for sure. 
But if we are going to say that it was some kind of physical entity or that there is like something in the planet or something that can be manifested in some way physically, is it possible that like nobody messed with this thing because everybody was kind of scared of it or just didn't know what to do with it or doesn't know much about it? And that those towers are actually like growths from it that came up through the ground and that somehow that has some sort of and that that sound might have been something like a large scale tempering or I mean, something that it, would that affect. Or, you know, maybe, maybe. I mean, they've been doing so much stuff at Garlemald right now, right? With in terms of you know magic attack and stuff. Maybe they've developed a really big three D printer. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they just you know like fa- you know fanny pack just send everybody out overnight. They're like, all right, we'll just it'll look it'll it'll seem like magic to everybody. We'll do it at night so no one can see them, and then they'll wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh. I mean, if they weren't three D printing. Uh, you know, often, then that thing would be sagging. Like, I don't, there's no supports. Like, when did they cut the supports off? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, this is a wild theory, but yeah. it is interesting that in the shots that we've had of going into them, we see things like spines, bones, like, mm-hmm. we see these physical growths, you know? And and it's funny to me because if Garlemald had just built it, it feels that, as though it would have been more technological. If it had just been magical, it feels like it would have shown differently as well. I, so, I am so surprised you didn't include the Nautilus in that. Because <laughs> we I, also saw... Uh, look, <laughs> I avoided saying Nautilus every <laughs> sentence that I was speaking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can get to that later if we want. But, um, no, I mean, they're, they're, it's interesting. This idea to consciously make a decision. I mean, it could just be that with the act or art of creation that just creating biological material is just something that can be manifest i mean i don't know i i I just think it's an interesting design i am too biased at this point to speak on on like the what ifs of the sound um it's over my headcanon is entrenched there is no coming (laughs) back i need new information new chaos into this system to upset that balance because I mean, this goes all the way back to when I first wrote the first summary, Rise and Fall of the White Raven. Like, when we were talking to Koji about that, when we were talking to Koji about that, he was like, yeah, I mean, there was something at Silver Tear Lake. It was a presence. I don't want to call it, like, an entity. It was kind of like a force, you know? And then Mm -hmm. over the years, we did these interviews with him, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, they had the presence at Silver Tear Lake. There was this force. So now when someone's like, yeah, no, there was this screeching and we don't know what it was and it was controlling things. I'm like, oh, force, you say. (laughs) So the presence at Silver Tear Lake is back. So like, I I want it so bad. I can't. Well, I mean, I mean, so it it could be an entity, but then the force is just like gas. You know, it does make me think of, you know, the primal explosion, right? That everybody, Mm -hmm. we're always talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I knew this would come up at some point during this episode. I knew it. It presents to me like the dream Titus was in, right? Kind of these bubbles of ideas of creation from the ancients, because we do know that they had these templates, right? Is that what released the templates to the world? I don't, you know, like, that's what I've always thought about that explosion. After we heard about Ifrit being a template, you know, that sort of thing. Like, what, you know, the dreamer could be an ancient that is willy-nilly creating creation magic, and he's just poking it, making it dream bad things. (laughs) Who Who knows, right? I don't know. I, they, to me, 
Yeah, Tataru is the dreamer. It's been <laughs> it's been Tataru the whole time. Well, we'd be fighting money. Yojimbo would be all over the place. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's move on. Uh, we still got a Point long three. way to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Point number three out of like a million. Whoo. Um, so, uh, these, these towers appear, at least is like, hey, they're like tempering people for Garlemald. That's weird and also not good. So they, uh, decide to send Arnvald and Fordola, uh, to investigate the tower in Paglathon. Um, Tataru tells the group, hey, we found Astinian. He's in Ishgard. You should go find him. You go to Ishgard. Um, he, he mistakes Alice for, so for Alphino, so um, Mm-hmm. Some things, some some things happen. I, I, I love this entire interaction because going into this, Ali says like, "Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure Astidian is everything I've heard of, and he's gonna like make me go mm-hmm. weak in the knees and all this stuff." And then he calls Ali say Alphino, and she hates him for life. And like, meanwhile, yep. Graha is just kind of like wide eyed looking at Astidian in the background like the whole time. Um, yeah, everything about it went that was hard on those animations on his face, like watery big <laughs> eyes. It was adorable. It was it's great. so yeah. cute. It's funny because I mean, obviously, we have these big lore issues that we talk about, mm-hmm. or like these big lore ideas and concepts. But from just a kind of chill everyday lore standpoint, it is really fun to see these characters that I hadn't even thought about whether or not they'd encounter each other in the world, encounter each other. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. such a strange little thing for me to realize in that moment when he started walking over and I'm sitting there going, oh my God, he thinks he's never met her. He really never met her? And Great. so it's it's just exciting to mm-hmm. see them interact and all these different characters. And later on, we get to the point where like the tribes come into the whole meeting and all that stuff too. I love seeing the world come together and interact as like cultures mm-hmm. and people and characters are finally all colliding in this way that just feels so satisfying. You know, it just it's great. The world feels more coherent because of it. You talk about I the meeting wish. with the with the, the beastman and now I'm like, oh, I should have swapped out my my little Nanamo with like the, the stare eyes face like Nanamo uh, yeah. from that from that yeah. cutscene. That was the quite meat. an expression. I had an opportunity. Totally, totally missed it. Mm. In the in the vein of people meeting, I'm gonna bring this up like every time. If we're gonna keep seeing Graha be like really starstruck and excited yes. by people that he saw that were important to history, I really need him to be like really suspicious and wary of someone every now and then. Like we just yes. meet this new character and he's like, "Oh, you, I remember you." I mean, not not you, Me. but like, I mean, whew, I'm glad the calamity didn't happen because you were gonna be a, you were. Right. A, I mean, no offense, but. Whew, just want to see just, him have one. I, I, I want to see Graha meet Farshafant and be like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've heard of you. You're a dick. <laughs> and just like, Wait, see, none of this. Like, well, he can't, but yeah. But, you know, I was going to say that. Zen is very I just confused. Wanted, you said well, Farshafant? Far, Farshafant. Oh, I said yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. too, and I was like, is he a dick in any universe? He's no. such a such chocolate. a jerk drinking your cocoa. Yeah, was you cocoa. It was all over my face. You saw it. But yeah, I was gonna say that I I would love to see him just have these insights. Like, I wish the world didn't end so close to where we were. I don't I don't know. Maybe it didn't, so that he would mm. have the foreknowledge and he would. You know, what I immediately thought was he would see two characters and be like, is this when you met? Don't worry about it. 
You know, like, <laughs> why did you just say that? I read about this moment. Yeah, or you know, your children. Yeah, you know, things like that. He would have insight on that would be amazing just to drop every once in a while. Hmm. Um, okay, so, uh, we go to Ishgard, Ali say and Alfie know things happen, um, we decide that, hey, we need to figure out who or what Lunar Bahamut is, this is kind of an odd thing, uh, who do we know that might know something about Bahamut, uh, oh, right, Tiamat, who's been stuck mm. up in Azizla for, like, a bajillion years, uh, you know, we're like, hey, you wanna, like, we could get you out of here. Nah, I'm good. I'm gonna just stay here imprisoned and just I'm looking so at happy we the crystals in, in front of me. Um, I, I loved this scene. I thought it was so good. So you go up to Azizlaw and you're talking to, to Tiamat about it. And I loved Estinian in this cutscene. Because he's basically, okay, so all this stuff is happening, like, you know, somebody has made, like, another uh, primal of your beloved and stuff, and, you know, your children are dying and all this stuff. So what the hell are you gonna do about it, Ma? Right. And she's like, I'm gonna do something about it. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna take like this from a dragoon. Well, it was more like... I wish I could do something about it, but to be honest, <laughs> there's a problem. Well, <laughs> she's mean, just... She, yeah. I'm sorry. You just know that I have a lot of feelings about yeah. Tiamat. Like she, 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 she needed that kick in the pants. Is what is ultimately, I think, what we got from this. Yeah, we talked about this during some of our actual, like, you know, full breakdowns when we were you know, doing our hands-on and stuff. Because I kind of went off on a tangent about how much I love this scene, and I'm just gonna be That's real true. about it. Out of this whole first half of the point five story. This scene was like the big lore dump for me. I mean, there's huge connotations in like the towers and stuff like that. But the Maricidia lore that happens in, like, the scenes with her, like this one and then the other bits of dialogue, just the, in like, the information from her is so great. And the writing is fantastic. I mean, the parallels between Estinian and her and the fact that, like, both of them were on this journey of grief and vengeance and all of those themes from Ishgard and, you know, this, like, burden that he carried that made him this force of wrath, just like Nidhogg. And like him talking about the fact that Nidhogg lives on in him, I was like, that's cool. You know, like there's this connection between him and then the dragons and then him talking as well about how even the dragoons are some of the people that understand the dragons most. And then at the time I kind of pulled out some of the old dragoon quest lore because sorry, we live in Chicago and a siren is going by. So I'm gonna let it do its thing real fast. Yeah, I, I loved, even before we got to, to some of the lore and stuff, just being up in, in Azazla and seeing Astinian kind of up on that little cliff, just, like, looking at Tiamat. I'm like, this is such a cool, like, setup. I mean, I, I, I G-posed that for, God, 20 minutes. Standing next to him. Put, put, on, put on my Dragoon stuff. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Add your Dragoons, right, buddy? Like, fist bumping him. It just I'm like, let's do it. It brings it all full circle. And we know from, like, those Dragoon quests, that it sounds like, at least from what uh, oh, the little dragonette, whose name I can't remember, but I could look up, um, the little dragonette from those who you go on this journey to find, like, his parents and all that stuff, he says and talks about the fact that apparently back in the ancient Elizin, you know, dragonkin, scalekin empire and the clouds and the whole shenanigan back in those days, um, there were dragon knights and stuff like that, and that it's his dream to one day be a dragon knight, and he wants you, the dragoon, to be his, like, knight, which is so great, 
And it's just these little tidbits of things that have been sitting around. And now we're actually getting, you know, maybe not a full resolution, but more that's kind of tying it all together in this bigger picture. And the Elizans as well having this connection to transforming into kin because of this curse and all kinds of stuff. I am like living for this. And I very much would like to know more. And I want that like relationship between these two groups to keep developing. And I, I mean, Tiamat is just so fascinating. And if we're thinking about like ancient lost secrets of this star, I mean, the dragons and Midgard Stormer, like they have such a longer perspective than our races. So I just yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> the, one of the takeaways from like the, the Nidhogg thing is that, you know, he's the angry brother, right? How else would your angry brother motivate you than say, mm. hey, you see what's wrong? Go ahead. Come on. Let's do something. Like, not a, hey, you know, I've, I've cared for you. Let's go do this together. It's a, hey, look, you should be mad. I'm mad. Let's go. Like, and I loved that from the Nidhogg perspective, right? It was just cool. And, th and then also Sidney's like, but also I am not a dragon, so I'm going to have to ride on your back. <laughs> I, I cannot fly. I can do it. She cannot just like, fly. Come on, let's go. She's like, let's yeah. go. We. <laughs> I know, I know you kind of. Kind yeah. Of. The Sidian's like Dragon Knights bringing it back. Let's do this. <laughs> he really um, is though. Yeah, and I mean too Vitra as well because and, and Walker. Vitra, yeah, I was yeah. just about to say, which makes me think because I wasn't sure if they were going to use this stuff. You know, I I didn't know if we'd revisit on this before we got to Endwalker. I, I don't even think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we'll go to Maricidia per se in this next expansion. We've seen nothing that says that we would. But these little tie-ins, and then the fact that Richard does appear, made me kind of go, okay, well, how are they going to keep tying this in? Like, what's going to connect him? to Vritra, and is it going to have something to do with Tiamat being like, hey, go help them, because shit's getting crazy, or like... <laughs> <My first guess laughs> Just like geography. that, that's exactly what she says. Geography? Yeah, yeah I think I think when they when they did the first few first brood dragons, they decided where the rest were going to be, and that the idea of, of one of them being in the Near East, of being in Thavnir, was decided vaguely a little while ago, but the fact that we're going over there is just like, well, we should see him then. So then we're like, all right, well, so we'll have Tiamat make an introduction. We'll have Retrol. We'll bring another one of these dragons in. Then we've only got one left to explain. Um, so geography was my first guess. But I, I do. I, because one of the things that I don't think was always highlighted perfectly was the fact that Astinian and Nidhogg are the same character. Um, they are both caught up in something bigger than them where a sibling was killed and now they live for nothing but revenge. And in the end, the only difference between them is that Nidhogg let the darkness consume him and Istinian found friends and trusted his allies. And I think that that's where we see the paths. We should have seen them diverge, but instead we've seen them converge in a very strange way where like Estinian knows Nidhogg so well he's picking up who he was before he was darkened yes. by this murder and now we see Estinian basically carrying on his legacy in a way and I'm like oh shit that's so cool so like I can see why he's hanging out with all the first brood but I, I, I am curious how he meets Fridra. yeah I'm sure we'll, we'll get some pretty cool stuff for that um, mm -hmm. let's see okay so um, we decide to help Tiamat out. Obviously, she needs to get out of her restraints, but uh, mm -hmm. there is this little little issue of her being tempered by Bahamut uh, yeah. that we need to take care of. Luckily, we have magic porksies. 
that that can then you know that can handle this. Uh, you you have to you know because of uh, you know Tiamat being Tiamat, uh, you know it 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 takes a little little extra, right? But uh, they end up they end up you know working that out. They undo the restraints, um, and so Asidian's like, all right, and just jumps up on on Tiamat's back, and it's like we'll make our own way. We'll see you guys over at Paglathon. Bye. <laughs> He's like, look, I'm not passing up this opportunity. Okay, I'm gonna fly on a dragon. Once again, um, the the note that I said, you know, during the review, as an Elizin summoner, that whole segment just hit so different, like just so yeah. completely different, and I loved every I'm second of it. Really oh curious to see how this impacts summoner stuff because, like, they've talked, of, like, they've mentioned, like, that maybe mm-hmm. summoner is. Do for some changes or something. Like, as I it's said, anybody's episode, guess. It makes perfect to kind of decouple from Bahamut at this point in the story. You know, like okay, you know what? That just let's not deal with that anymore. Let's not continue summoning Bahamut. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, with it we'll being so iconic as like mm. being imagery to fourteen, but also being, I think, a fairly iconic summon yeah. for the class. Absolutely. It would be really strange. But at the same time, I agree in that, and we've talked about this a bit with like the shift away from job quests into more of this role quest thing. Not to say that the job quests ever really did a great consistent job of always tying into the larger repercussions of the world and how those classes, you know, fit in. But it does make me curious about the summoner's journey. Because when you brought that up, Aldino, and you were like, you just summon Bahamut in front of Tiamat, and she's like, wow, okay, fine. I said, whoa. <laughs> it'd be terrible it'd be so terrible and isn't there a time that we move on from this horrible legacy of destruction and grief you know like i would love to see a different summon take over that uh or i mean maybe maybe there's some way to i guess reclaim bahamut's image or or something like that that would be more true to who bahamut actually was that would also be fascinating i think but I don't know if we'll actually see it. You get, it's kind you of get one, on new, one new summoner quest in Endwalker that's just like you're basically doing PR for Bahamut. You're like, no, yeah. Bahamut's actually really good. Like, see all this great stuff that his Aether did when he like destroyed half of Aeorzea? Yeah, it's fine. He's great. Okay. For a long time. When... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to say for a long time when we were doing Coil back in the day, I was I would be a Bahamut like cultist. And I would be like, for the, you know, like I was just messing around with it. But how funny would it be to do New Game Plus and just stand next to Tiamat in like the Dreadworm gear with the book and go, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna help you real quick. Don't worry about it." <laughs> I actually did love this little note about her being tempered, um, sure. just because. I guess I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> that sounds yeah. kind of strange. I mean, we I, maybe because her goals and her love were so strong that to me that in and of itself felt like a compelling enough force to drive her to do something like this, you know? And yet it was always strange to me that she stayed there. And I remember when I finished Heavensward, I was just going like, please, I stood there in front of her after it was all done. I just like went back and I was like, don't stay here. You have a whole life ahead of you. But like, it was, I mean, it's really powerful because on one hand, I think it gives me an interesting perception of dragons and possibly how we could read into their emotional states. Um, because Nidhogg as well, it seems as though with their just never-ending lifespans or 
with the way that whatever works between communicating with them and feeling and emotion, I mean, they feel differently than we do, but this idea that like, and a single emotion could last for much longer than we ever would experience it. It's something that's always been really fascinating to me with the dragons. Um, and with uh, Hrysvelger as well, who's just like, I'm gonna stay up yes. here and be a little, I'm just gonna suck all the time and be sad. And I'm like, Hrysvelger, stop. Like, I know you're sad, but please. Like, it's interesting because that's always something I love in fantasy races, those differences and how they might live or experience existence. So she has always been compelling to me in that fact. And um, I guess I just never truly thought that like, oh, maybe part of this also has to do with the fact that this summon could exert will over her and her strength. And, you know, um, maybe as well because she was more susceptible to it because of her love and her belief that she shared already in this mm -hmm. kind of ideal, and this desire. So they to also have did make a, a point too that like while she yes technically was enthralled she also still was able to kind of act of her own accord too her own so there's to there's that too yeah so you guys so yeah that make was me realize how jaded i am <laughs> you're like you're like over here making all this meaning out of it and analyzing it and i'm sitting here like whoo I'm glad they brought that up, because technically she summoned something, and if not even the ancients could participate in a summering without being tempered, that'd be a hell of a plot hole. <laughs> I mean, that's a totally fair look at it, too, though, honestly. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I've always wondered about the nature of Draconic Aether and, you know, the fact that they aren't necessarily from this world and how that functions. And so, yeah, it's it's funny that to you that was something that really stood out as like, this would be a lore issue. And to me, I guess I was always kind of like, I don't know, emotional journeys and dragons are cool. I love dragons. <laughs> I feel like it's less of a lore issue and more of a, hey, did you notice that? Hey, do you want to apply that to other things? Yeah. Hey, think about it. Hey, think about it. Hey, think about it. Yeah, I, I just um, love mechanics as, as metaphor and things like that. So like the more they can do that sort of thing to be like, yeah, and she was tempered, you know, or or like uh, get some of the mechanics from the game into, you know, the lore or back and forth a lot with Lunar Bahamut in the fight. You know, I love that. That's my favorite part. Mm. Speaking so of hopefully uh, Lunar we never Bahamut. have to go back to Azizla again, right? The cool part, Tiamat, I mean, the only cool thing there is gone. I, mean, I never have to go we, there again. We might need to go and get some files from, the, ever again. from a building or something. <laughs> Talk to another node, you know. Get a get a yeah. get a you know five hundred year old backup file for for something or you know. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, uh, where were we? Yeah. So uh, after all this, uh, everybody goes over to Peglathon. Uh, Istinian and Tiamat are uh, burninating the. Uh, the enemies, uh, yeah. you and and you know the warrior of light defeats Lunar Bahamut, um, and that was it. GG. Everybody, everybody, go home. That was that was the whole. <laughs> I mean, there was a little more of that, right? Um, you, you know, as you're going through Peglathon, um, you encounter uh, some NPCs from the Alliance. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of made up to be like this big battle. Um, the only dancer-flavored glamour in the entire expansion, except for the dancer outfit. <laughs> Headpieces for Viera. I mean, it was a great time. Yeah. Great time for everybody. We're going to Thavnir. Uh, you better give me some Yoshi. <laughs> um, I think. But yeah, it's kind. Of, it's kind of funny because I think I was maybe. I like this dungeon overall. Let me preface this. I think I was kind of hoping 
that we would see something more about the Amaljah's life in it. We kind of do as you get to like the end of the dungeon, right? You can kind of see what looks like it was sort of their encampment and, and that sort of thing. But I think some part of me when it was first announced was hoping that we would actually see something more of a mundane setting for that. Or, you know, uh, I mean, of course, there's a lot of other things in this, but I was kind of hoping, you know, we'd be fighting our way through what would have essentially been kind of their their hidden lives at this point, you know, their encampments. And we would have seen maybe people fleeing, like the Amaljah fleeing and, and things you like know, that. Yeah, I don't know that it was like, obviously, it was it was more kind of like uh, battleground themed right but I, you know there are some parts of it it's not too unlike uh you know maybe something like holminster right where you know they do have some fields you know there are some some buildings and stuff right so it's like yeah all right you know we got we did get a little bit of that it's just so Ooh, many things are are going on with that um, yeah i gave up hope after zelfa toll like, <laughs> I, I was really excited like i I talk all the time yeah. that I want Neorzia 2 expansion. I want to come back. I want to see the places yeah. we didn't go. I want to learn more about the cities. I want to pick up those discarded plot lines. I want to see the presence of Silver Tier Lake. Zelfatol is, um, is the same but, thing as Alamigo. They're like, hey, you want to go to this place? Here it is as a dungeon. And it's like, I Thanks. wanted to see the Beast Tribe home. Alamigo is a great comparison because that's why I'm frustrated with Alamigo. I wanted to see mm -hmm. the rest of the culture. I wanted to see their architecture, their clothes, their crafts. I wanted to see stuff that wasn't the refugees. Yes. And we we didn't fully get that. But like, no, it's the same we thing didn't with even the Beast Tribes. I want to see what the Beast Tribe homelands. Us. Yeah, I I agree. I'm still salty. With with, like, with Alamigo, they're like, we're gonna go to Fanfest. We're gonna go to Alamigo. We're gonna see this mixture of like Alamigan and Garlean architecture. We get into Alamigo, and it's like Alamigo, and then like little Garlean fences. They're like, I can see <laughs> someone like, oh, like oh. we did the bridge. That's the bridge. Yeah, like, <laughs> we did. We we made a bridge, and there's some like doors. <laughs> like, uh. I, yeah, I want I want Alamigo to be the city state of the Aorzia two expansion. Um, but like I, I did, I wanted the Beast Tribe homelands because they were like, well, I mean, like maybe the Aorzians are just racist to even call them Beast Tribes. Maybe they're just like they have exaggerated features, but they're people just like us. And then it comes time to go to their homelands and like, no, nah, it's just wasteland. We're gonna we're gonna run through the important bits in a dungeon. But other than that, mm -hmm. it's crap. No one cares. You know, so I, it's like I'm getting mixed messages here. I think there's a real opportunity to explore that in 6.1. Um, you know, especially now now that we're, you know, we have the grand company of Eorzea. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of threads, as we've talked about before. So many threads about uh, where the story could go, either, you know, the Void or Maricidia. But we also do have, like, the New World, um, where we know that the, 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 the Mamulja are from we know that they come from there so like we could totally explore that in in the future so um they're definitely uh, you know they're, they're not like the bad guys anymore right they're not the beast tribes they're just you know tribes so i'm really curious to see going forward um you know how they'll they'll use those those groups um getting back to the bullet points so many bullet points in the tower um, after we do the Pagalthon stuff, Aaron Vald and Fordola, they see all these kidnapped Amalja trapped on the walls of the tower, kind of like uh, the, the, the wall of the faith, right? That we, we kind of talked about from 10. Really creepy. Um, Aaron Vald does something, triggers an alarm. Uh, things happen, and there's a lunar ifrit all of a sudden. Um, and 
are involved gets an ouchie. Surprising no one. Because no, they oh, basically no, yeah. painted a huge you are going to die sign on his back this entire is like I've never seen such heavy handed foreshadowing. It's like it's like Arnvald walks away to like go investigate the tower. There's like this giant like kick me sign on his back. It's, it's like oh yeah. Face. There is a literal X on his face. There. <laughs> Literally, X marks the spot. I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be Fordola. Like, I thought what was gonna happen was he was gonna get injured, and then she was gonna die while he wasn't there, and history was gonna repeat itself all Mm. over, like waking sands all over again. It was just gonna ruin him, and we would have to like watch his journey through the rest of. Like, he was gonna be one of our new main characters after that. But apparently, no one dies in this game anymore. Right. I I love I love everyone here, but I'm so over male pain trope. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm just gonna be completely blunt about it. Mm -hmm. I personally am still I like am and am not because I actually do think the Tsukiyomi arc was fantastic. I think that the the like overall culmination of it for her and with Yotsuyu and like I I think it was great. I think it was brilliant, but. The two really complex, meaty, interesting female characters we got from that. Bordola, Yotsuyu. I'm like, you kill one, you are not touching the other, so help me. <laughs> like, you will not do this. Because there's so much complexity in her, you know? And I am always somebody that loves that. Especially at, if we want to look at this world and Garlemald and the legacy of what it means to have had all these different countries live near or be invaded by an imperialist country. Like, we've talked about this before, but like these are big themes. So you can't have characters that are just idealistic and just you can have them in a narrative. But I think to be really true to those themes that you've built and that world and that lore, you have to have characters that truly show what it means emotionally to have been in a regime like this. And Fordola is like, she's rich and meaty and full of potential. So if they had killed angry. her there, she's I would have been so furious. No, yes. I, and, she, I, no, I, and she's angry here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so she is, she is, she is we have mad, thoughts. and there aren't very many characters that are mad in the way that she is mad. There are plenty of characters mm. that are mad about what's happening, but her anger is like complex and almost ping pongs in in who the the her anger is toward. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a shifting, growing, I, terrible, spiny, briar like uh, anger, and I love it. I need to highlight that there is a difference between what I. Th- thought was going to I know, happen I know. and what I want to happen because <laughs> what I want to happen is for the parallel to continue when we first went into Stormblood um, we were we were given Fordola and Yotsuyu around the same time yeah. and I think that they were like written in a way to trigger people morally that everyone was going to be much more sympathetic to one than the other and fight each over fight each other over which one was better and which one was more redeemable and I feel like we didn't get closure on that for Fordola because we saw Yo- the consequences of Yotsuyu's actions um, she had an opportunity to walk away from all of the bad stuff that happened to her and she chose violence and she saw it through like she embraced being a monster she wanted to be a monster whereas Fordola really thought she was doing the right thing every step of the way and just got caught up in this house of cards of there's no way 
to continue forward without sacrificing everything they've built because Xenos was able to kind of manipulate that and play with her in the end. Mm -hmm. But for most of her life, she, she truly believed that Alamigo, you know, deserved to be conquered because it was weak, that it, it could stand strong as a province of the empire, that if, if they embraced being imperial and were, and showed that like Alamigans could be trusted to win battles and be strong, then they could govern themselves like the core, core provinces of the empire. Like that's what Gaius wanted them to believe. And she never got it. But like to her, it made more sense because the all amigo that like Lise was fighting for never existed. It was imaginary. Right. Like the fact exactly. that the warrior light could come along and build it was Rook, Rook has a giant ass light she bulb does, over her head. Ripping. I can see it. It's just she's because ready to go. So well, Moose, you were saying it so well that it like all just clicked in my head, and I love it because this is what's brilliant about Fordola, and you totally outlined this, and I hadn't thought about it specifically until this point. We have seen that magical, like this magical force um, that we have with tempering is frightening because it strips will, right? But what I think is truly more frightening is when indoctrination of mentality create without magical force makes people believe that these things are true. And Fordola is phenomenal in that sense because she, in, in a way, is really the most iconic of what it means to have been corrupted by the idea of Garlemald, the idea of that nation. She was disempowered. She was a frightened child. She was impoverished. And this nation came in and said, you deserved this. Your people deserved this because of, you know, your own weakness, because of how, you know, insignificant you are compared to us. And she wanted to have a place and she wanted to have power and she wanted to have all these things. And she bought into this dream that like, if I do these things like Garlemald does, I will have a place. And even if that makes me an enemy to this fake ideal of what my country was, then like, I will have a place in the reality of what my country is. And I love it. And so, like, I totally got that you were saying, like, you weren't saying, like, I think she should die. I totally got that you were just saying that it seemed as though that's what they would do. But I am incredibly glad that they didn't because um, you can cure you can cure tempering now with a pig. But can you undo years of conditioning um, I, under I an thought it was regime? I thought it was going to happen by now yeah. because, like, I... What, when I was complaining earlier that we didn't see much of like the culture, this is part of what I was frustrated with is they put it all on Fordola to represent what it meant for Garlemald to come in and for like she, her parents were kind of the more noble cast, but like they bought into Garlemald to kind of keep what they had. So mm -hmm. when the, um, the rabble killed her dad and then the Optimates never really accepted them as real Imperials and Gaius was like, no, no, you know, merit is what matters. Like, stay strong, prove you're strong, prove you're loyal, you can be this. And I think that it just built this mentality of that you hold out. I think that's why it was such a powerful scene when she realized, like, when, remember when she fired on like her own people in the tower? That part is one of the most powerful parts in the game for me because of her choices. If she doesn't fire, she tears down everything she's built with her friends. That all Amigans 
have what it takes to win battles at any cost. That everything, like if she didn't fire, she proved that all of their words over the last, like over a decade, were hollow. And if she, and and then and then Zenos would kill her for it. So she'd prove that they were worthless all along, and then he, she'd be killed. So she fired, and it was still the wrong decision. Like I, I, and I really thought by now it would have come to a point where instead of seeing a rivalry between these two visions of all amigo that they would agree on one and we would see Lise mm. and Fordola fighting together for something and we haven't seen it yet and I'm I mad. I yeah. think uh and 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 there's a lot of people in the chat like oh like maybe we'll get a Fordola trust eventually I sure. think uh I, I, you know apologies in in advance for the the Fordola fans here I think a good way to wrap up her arc no, stop. would be no. <laughs> Are you saying she sacrifices herself for all of me? No, 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 no. She, she, she doesn't sacrifice herself, but she dies trying to fight Xenos. I, she finally breaks thing. out of that whole Garlemald thing, tries to stick it. Let it be a victory. Like, let her take down something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I just also, I guess, I don't know. I, I think... I'm over people redeeming themselves by just dying. And I was really surprised that we also, I think their handlings with a lot of nuance. Gaius, oh my gosh, like everything Mm. with these weapon quests. It it just, by the end, I was like, holy cow, I love what they did. And this felt the same because I think you're right in that there have been patterns in the past where they've shied away from some of this like Mm. more complex, difficult, stuff or it's easier to like sweep it under the rug like one time i was bad but then i realized i've been good inside the I, whole really, time. I, <laughs> I really want i want to see her use her convictions for her own means for once yes. because to me what they keep showing us is that and maybe it was the Asians because it, it comes through through their civilization basically they handcrafted garlemald from the very beginning and what they are the best at is using someone's convictions against themselves summoning primals trying to get the first to kill themselves by wanting to be freed from the pain right that's what they do the most and i want to see fordola switch it back on them like no i'm taking over my own volition this yes. is my power that you were using now it's mine my own i can't yes. wait to see that i want I to see them mm-hmm. no i think okay, we waste i think we wasted our one good um the warrior of light is right. I'm going to fight yes. for their path. Everything converges with a sacrificial death. I think we we, we already spent that card. We played that card mm. on Isail, and it was mm. perfect when it was her, but I don't know if I want to see it again, especially sure. on Fordola. Yes. Um, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up Gaius because with what we've been through with him, I think it highlights the difference between a redemption arc and atonement because yeah. he's not on a redemption. Like yeah. no one yeah. in that yes. quest believes or gives a shit about his redemption. Nope. He is an atoner and that is his business alone. And I think that that is probably what's going to be the path for him is not necessarily that death equals redemption. Maybe mm. it might. It might for mm-hmm. him. Who knows? But that his atonement is more of a personal journey that other people might not even buy into. So for Ferdola, I want to see something in the middle. I want to see a third option. Okay. Yeah, I want to see that moment that you outlined, Moose, but where she makes the other choice and of her own volition, you know, like Mm -hmm. where she chooses to do something that is, um, I guess you could say heroic, 
but it doesn't have to be heroic in the sense that we think, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like tropey heroic. Right. Just something yeah. that she does where she realizes that this perspective on the world that she had is different and that life can be lived in a different way. And like this artificial echo she has, I think is also a big interesting question mark that we still haven't explored a lot, but as we, you know, maybe continue to look forward at what that means or what, you know, like what connotations that has, if they do want to tie it into a bigger picture, I think she could also be a great connection for that. I don't know yet exactly how she's going to play into this whole thing because her story does seem kind of regional in a sense, I guess, but like, I think these larger themes that are tying her together that we're seeing her witness with are involved and come into conflict with, you know, these other figures that have been on their own journeys. It's exciting to see that, and I hope she has more material. Also, I do just want to say, Fusion, that the moment I jokingly said, shut up, Fusion, because I was quoting Zen during the fan fest, I felt really, really bad inside. <laughs> Don't ever shut up. I love everything you say, even if you're wrong in the case oh. of Renault. <laughs> wow. Way to, like, try to follow that up with I'm an apology. But, like, oh, I don't know if that, I think that may have made it worse. <laughs> Your insights are valuable. After all they've been through, I'm curious what it would look like for Fordola and Gaius to cross paths again and be like yeah. just incidentally yes. on the same battlefield for five minutes. Mm -hmm. I yes. think that would be a cutscene for the ages. But yes. Will I ever get it? What only one Hope, of them comes hopefully. away from that. Yes. I just Why love how angry she is. I know I already said this. I know I already said this. Is, this so is me being mad. petty. Mm -hmm. This is me being petty, but I actually like I don't get me wrong. I love Xenos and Fan Daniel. I think sure. they are great characters. I have a lot of doubts over whether they are the right characters for the ending of Hydaelyn and Zodiac, where the whole world yes. has to come together. A it's thousand times, darkness. yes. So Agreed. I have a lot of doubts. Like, does one guy who just really wants to fight us and one guy who claims he wants everything to die, I don't believe him, but he claims that. Are these, are these the right villains for this plot point? So I would love nothing more than for A, Xenos to not even get his rematch at all. I hope Zodiac hits him with a bus if that's where he's determined to go. Right. Like, but I also want to see someone else kill Fan Daniel. I would mm -hmm. love to see like Gaius and Fordola kill Fan Daniel while we're mm -hmm. off doing something else. Like I want to you know, see these two you, guys go under the bus in a different you've way. Said yeah. that that sounds perfect to me. Right? Like, we know Gaius has, you know, he's not a, a fan of the Asians, right? We have Fordola, who, you know, obviously has issues with Garamald. Fandaniel is kind of a little bit a part of that now. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I need that now. For and if we don't get that now, I'm going to be upset. And I'm going to let you know <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> it feels like two people. I'm sorry if I ruined the ending. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what was that, Aldino? No, I was just saying that it feels like the two people who are willingly tempered by Garlemald going against the people who have literally destroyed it, right? Like, that's Beautiful. just... Yes. It would be amazing. Oh, that would mm. be... I just, that mm. would be, like, the punch, but, like, straight to the feels of yeah. just confronting that regime, you know? Yes, because good. Exactly. It's like, it's one would, thing if another group comes in and just, like, forcibly mm -hmm. puts an end to something. But to have, like the people that became a part of that or perpetrated it, those two figures would be so powerful in bringing Taking about back that. their own conviction yeah. and using it against the people who were using them. And I agree with you. Fandaniel, I think, would be an amazing villain after Highland and Zodiac because one of the things that I can't believe that we don't have much closure on is, or yet, you know, 
what are the other Asians doing, right? The other ones that have been brought back. There's so many just out there, right? Working Think, Pinker killed all of them on the first. Remember, there was that whole See, that whole thing where he's yeah. eating coffee biscuits. Yeah, one of them is eating mm. coffee biscuits. So who knows what they're doing and what I'm goals sorry. they have. For Pride Month, I'd like to addendum that sentence. Sure. Eating coffee biscuits with her girlfriend. Okay, yes. <laughs> Let's do that. It's fair. Yeah. But yeah, I've always thought that the thread of what happens to the rest of them after the, uh, you know, unsundered are gone. Like, they're just listless. They don't disappear. What happens? What do they choose to do? So many bakeries gonna are going to pop up. Yeah, absolutely. All over the place. Assian bakeries. Just yeah. everywhere. Yep. I'm I'm in the minority here, but mm-hmm. I I think we're we're dealing partly with a now reales two situation mm. where mm. where Fan Daniel just thinks he knows better what right. Zodiac wants and how to be his best friend. Yeah. Like I if I there's my brain is split. I've got two options, but like one of them is this idea that Fan Daniel is just I want to be Zodiac's best friend, and these idiot originals just wanted to use him to put the world back how it was before he was even here. That mm-hmm. lacks vision. It lacks ambition. I know what Zodiac really wants. We're gonna like destroy everything and build a new kingdom in his image. Like I think that's where he's mm-hmm. coming from. But I also think it'd be interesting if we were seeing that little tiny thing Emmett Selk hinted at, yes. that you can you can restore someone to an office who was never part of that office. Exactly. They're just less trustworthy. Like if you have one of the true believers in Zodiac who was there to summon him, that's what you want. But if you yeah. have someone else, it's possible, but they're not as reliable. So I think that those are my two favorite options for Fan Daniel. Yeah, I would love to see... And, you know, it's hard because everyone's like, oh, he's just chaos. But I would love to see an Asian wary of the, the cycle who's just like, can we just stop, please? Like, can we just please stop? I've been it's doing this for I, I love that everybody... For, for a teeny bit, right? Yeah. He's yeah. wary and, then and he's... he's just... tried for, for a small yeah. portion of time. He was like, you know, this isn't mm. that bad. Maybe I could learn to nah. Yeah. I, I love all the different the different theories because... For the for a while now, for a few patches, every time I see Fan Daniel, all the only comparison that my brain makes is Heath Ledger's Joker. Sure, like that's <laughs> that's it. He's like, I just want to cause chaos, and he that's like you know him. gives gives Xenos a scythe. He's like, just just go have fun, you know. <laughs> like that's that's what it is. He's like, look at all these weapons, pick one and just go do your thing. Like just, it's that's it. I just want I want to see Fan Daniel as like a dad. And Xenos, as a child with like a wiffle bat, he's like, go kill him, tiger. You know, like, go, go do it. <laughs> it's totally not the dynamic to be that. funny. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm a mom in the stands watching. Yes. Oh, that's, that's my boy. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, be able to unsee Dan Daniel as Joker. And he oh, yeah. He Ledger's Joker. Because he's got the same thing where like sometimes he's throwing a hissy fit and you think he's emotionally mm-hmm. dysregulated, but then everything goes to hell and he's just kind of like, eh. Whatever. Yeah, I mean that, that was got that same when, vibe where you don't know how upset he really is. Right mm. when he came out with, yeah. with 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 the towers and stuff, all I could think of was like Heath Ledger, Joker. But then like instead of like I'm gonna like blow up a hospital and all this stuff, I just I just see Fan Daniel like I'm gonna set up some cell phone towers with some star projectors. <laughs> I just I'm just gonna see what happens. Just freak everybody out for a bit. Right? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna re- make the final days with these these little little star projector towers. towers. Oh, yeah. Boy. Uh, so, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dumb question. 
Uh-huh. Why is it that I, I hit the, at the end of so many of these things with like dumb question, dumb comment, guys? Um, if he's Joker, who's Zenos? Who, what what Batman's villain is? Two Face, Two Face. In in this yeah, particular, yeah. Well, right, because like right, like Joker gives Two Face like the mirror, and uh, does, does he give him a gun? I forget. I think he might give him a I, gun. He, in, either way, in he's, got, he's got very co- cool, calm, and right. collected. Mm-hmm. And he, then, he, he, and he's the one that, that pushes him. Yeah, he's the one yeah. that pushes him, right? So in this in this particular, you know, Van Daniel shows up, and and even with like a little bit of reluctance, maybe right, they they give in, and then you have that scene where he's just like, "Hey, I got welcome to the weapon shop. Yeah, I have provided you all of these weapons. Please choose one." And so chaos, yeah. <laughs> and, and and help me with my overall agenda. That's 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 it. That's the relationship. Yeah. I don't really like him yet, certainly. I mean, a lot of people are in that place right now, but he is a great accelerant, right? He's pouring gas on the fire and like we're Chat like I don't know Bane. what's going to happen, but See, something's Chat gonna Chat is saying Xenos is Bane. The problem with oh, that though that. is the Harley Quinn cartoon has happened all. since since then and I just I can't see that cuz Bane in the Harley Quinn cartoon is just <laughs> Amazing. Um, Van Daniel, like, I can definitely see them doing something with him because I do think it's a viable option that, like, maybe one of these entities that's lived for so long or, you know, has been brought back Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form is just, like, sick of it all and is like, I don't want to exist anymore, so nobody gets to exist. But, I mean, I do hope that as we get to the end, like you said, Moose, that doesn't feel like the compelling, nuanced Mm -hmm. thing that I want for the end of this, right? So... I have seen all these theories. I saw chat also say that maybe Fan Daniel's working with Vinat, which is a yeah. whole nother thing that we can, you know, discuss to to no end by the time we get there. Um, whether or not we think Vinat is a major player here. Uh, but it's it's very yes. It feels like there has to be something more with him. And while nihilism is could be compelling in some way, shape, or form, this debate about you know, do we return to what was? Do we look at a future that is? Do we just end everything? Like, I guess there is a voice for that amidst all of this. But I hope that it becomes more nuanced or clear mm-hmm. that, you know, I also did not care for Emmett Selk when I first met that yeah. boy. And now That's he's true. one of my ultimate favorite characters in the whole thing, you know? And mm-hmm. and I adore him in that sense. So I'm kind of hoping that we'll see some more direction from him. I still feel very ambiguous about fanny pack i'm like okay he's fine i guess but i want to unpack what's in the fanny pack and understand better because i still don't i'm not convinced excellent wonderful he's he's like i I got i got uh, a pack of tissues i got my car keys gum yeah i'm 100 convinced xenos and fan daniel each think the other's a useful idiot yes yes once they meet their goals they're going to be like very easily just kind of like shoved aside and that they're not really coming at each other head on you just diagonally take over they're gonna they're gonna butt heads and then and then gaius and fordola come in like yeah we'll handle this dude for you (laughs) yes 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 but then also we kill xenos I just hope that I don't like them as a unit, honestly, because I think they're not very compelling as a unit. And yet I feel as though if they really were supposed to be a unified front, it seems to me as though we'd have more of them. That's something that in all of this 0.5 wrap up, I've been so surprised by. I just feel like for them theoretically being our next major villains, although Heidelin and Zodiac again are this huge core of what's happening. We have seen so little of them. And, like, they show up for their little scene or their little thing, but they're still so ambiguous. We have, like, no answers. 
So it does feel to me that they're keeping them veiled in that sense that, like you were saying, that I don't think they're as unified as we actually think they are. And I don't think that they even understand each other's motivations as much as they think they do. And so I'm hoping we see this split where they both in different ways lead us to something more or something that's more compelling. Mm. Because right now I'm just like, well, yeah, there's those two doofuses again. All right, what's up to Someone gave you a pointy stick? Great. There's no like cohesion there. It's like, it's like... uh, peanut butter and like sweet and sour sauce or something like it's just they don't go together right and so except in thai food okay damn it i I, you know as 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 rook was talking i was trying to think of a good comparison for things that didn't go together i'm like peanut butter and sweet yeah i can't think of cotton candy yeah whiskey and cotton candy would work Okay, I would, there you I go. would drink slash eat that though i yeah. would though because that'd be like sweet whiskey no that'd, that'd that would okay. be like an old-fashioned you put sugar in whiskey Orange juice and toothpaste. There There we go. go. Thank you, Chet. Uh, Chet (laughs) also saying, uh, Chet also saying, in Ishikawa we trust. Uh, Oh, of course. I was was waiting until everybody was done talking (laughs) to bring this up. But yeah, that's my my fallback, my comfort Mm -hmm. zone, my safety net right now is Ishikawa has already done the impossible. She made a little bit interesting. There is no way that we are in a place we can't come back from in mm-hmm. terms of that. Like I, I see what I call a desynchronization is desynchronization of theme. A lot of the things that we've seen build up and harmonize with each other and rhyme throughout the story. It's janky here and it's a weird place for it to be janky. But at the same time, I just trust Ishikawa right now. Like mm-hmm. I feel like even when I don't like it, I kind of really like it. So I'm good with a lot of it. I just, there's a couple of desynchronized things that I don't want to do again either. I don't want to fight Xenos again. It's what he wants. It's not what I want. I won last time. He killed himself. It's not my fault it didn't take. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like I need to give him what he wants. I hope he, I do. I hope Zodiac hits him with a bus. Just hug him. No, no, no. You're okay. He's a great character, but I've already done this, bro. Uh, we, yeah. We're not the yeah, friends you, know, you think we are. We're really familiar. Really yeah. Known. You know, coming into coming into into Shadowbringers, right? You see, you, you're introduced to Emmett Selk at the end of Stormblood, and my my initial thoughts on Emmett Selk was, you know, I wasn't crazy about Arden in 15. I'm not crazy about Arden in 14. Yeah, because it felt like that same kind of character. And then, of course, Shadowbringers comes out, and you're just like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, in in Ishikawa, we try. I, I you know, they just they need to get to that point where they can build that up and develop it mm-hmm. to then bring it to a close. So, um. All right, moving right along. <laughs> so many things. Um, where were we? Okay, That's so Arnvald is injured. Um, Alpha O <clears throat> is upset, obviously, that Arnvald got hurt. Um, there's this really interesting interaction between Fordola, Alpha O, and Astinian. Uh, Fordola is basically chewing out Alpha O about all of his, you know, idealism. Um, and then Asinian's like, yeah, but people that have that idealism are the ones that people, you know, remember as heroes. And so they're all just kind of like, all right. And and Alphano's just just having a bad time. This the the, the I really the, like that. The yeah. Heidelin Zodiac whole... story is just Alphano getting knocked down a pick. That's it. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna make gonna a company. Make it. It'll be called the Crystal Braves. It'll be great. Oh shit! <laughs> like it just uh, but... one thing after another. What I really like about this interaction personally is uh, that it, in black and white terms, lays out their pessimists and their optimists, and you need both. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's okay to be how you are, but we got to have that guy too. So let him do his thing. And it, and it yeah. also gives you that, that first hint that Estinian might stick around, right? Is that little bit of like, you know, he's going to, he's going to defend for Alphano a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, I think those are the things that are going to make uh, Alize forgive him. Right. Certainly. <laughs> At some point. I, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, those three characters are so they're so great because they're wonderful pivots for those ideas. You know, idealism, pragmatism, the like mingling of both. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, again, I just think the writing has been so masterfully handled with the way that they've even set up characters. They've orchestrated these different conversations, you know. I mean, Estinian has been on this whole journey. And so while he is sort of that, I guess, He's had that pragmatic, pessimistic kind of look at life and war and bloodshed Mm -hmm. and vengeance. We've also seen him, you know, come full circle to the point where he has realized the need for idealism and hope. And, you know, then we've had on the other side, good boy Alfino, who's living underneath his grandfather's shadow and has a dick for a dad. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, I have to believe in things that are bigger than myself. You know, I have to have these dreams, these hopes. Um, I can't remain hands-off in a world that needs me. And he's trying to, like, embody these ideals. He's also a dumb child. Mm -hmm. He has no idea what that means in the connotation of a world where war and suffering and betrayal have a place, right? And then in the middle, like, those two characters have had their arc. Middle, you have Fordola, who is on the journey of her arc, who is trying to reconcile both of these ideals, who's coming from that pessimistic place but has seen what idealism and even least can embody who's lived like Moose pointed out so perfectly with that, like idealism of what Alamigo supposedly is. And then like the truth of what it means to be in an imperialist nation. Like there's just so many different things that are so good in this scene. And, um, I mean, they may not always seem as though they are as tangible lore details as like name, place, date, all these things, right? These ideas in culture and in the people, I think it's so great to see them all just actually realized Mm -hmm. and, all tackled in one scene that's kind of unassuming at first, you know? Well, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's again, right, another one of those interactions where I, I don't think that Istinian and Fordola had, you know, encountered yeah. Yeah. one another, right? Yeah. So it's that first time of, like, she's just tuned into Alpha, and Istinian's like, look, I know I'm Istinian, but that's my boy. Okay, you need to, well, like... He's, such, <laughs> he's the perfect uh, vehicle yes. for the message, too. Yep. Because... Yeah. He's he's been on the negative side. He's seen worse than himself too. Part of that is like through Nidhogg. He's seen Nidhogg. He knows Nidhogg very personally now. And Nidhogg yeah. experienced that for a very long time. And he in that way can realize that yes, that is a thing, but you gotta have the other stuff too, or you just destroy yourself. Yeah, I think this this patch I think is is doing a really good job of like obviously, you know, we've talked about how uh, Ehrenwald and Asinian are kind of like role models or like maybe older brothers or something, right? <laughs> yeah. To to Alphino. And it, this patch is, I think, really setting up the idea that, that Alphino is going to kind of lean hard onto relying on Asinian, I think, for at least a little bit going forward. Uh, but we'll we'll get into that in, in, in a little bit. We do have a few more bullet points. Oh, really uh, quick. Really yes. quick. Uh, I like how they bring up the point that Alphino never had a lot of friends who were guys. And sure. suddenly he's like collecting like this dude bro community, and it's I guess it's helping him grow as a person too. Mm-hmm. And it's just really cute to see that through his sister mm-hmm. like telling telling a little tale about after him. after right. at, at, at the end of of six point Alphino is going to go off and do his own thing. He's going to have a his own dude bro link shell. Um, you know, he'll I have mean, Astinian and 
<laughs> it's extra cute with the like 0.55 connotation where they talk about the fact that like their father has always been really distant from them. Right. And like that idea that, yeah, maybe he hasn't always felt like he knows what it means. And there's a lot, there's a lot of weighty stuff that goes into this sure. idea of like gender norms, you know, mm -hmm. but like, but this idea of what it means to be the kind of man that he wants to be. Right. Like, we'll maybe say that, you know, that yeah. he has these figures that have been distant in one way, shape, or form, and that his grandfather, who maybe he was the closest to, was also kind of an untouchable paragon mm -hmm. and died when they yeah. were so young, when you look at, like, an Ellison's lifespan. Right. Um, and then to have these other influences, these people that I think he sees these reflections of who he could be or who he might want to be in, and that he can actually be close to and share these journeys with and grow alongside... I, I love it. It's so yeah. cute and it's, it's good. It's <laughs> really interesting too. I mean, looking at, you know, like Louis Swa and Estinian, and then he looks right as we get in again, we'll get to it in a little bit, his direct lineage. Right. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's let's we want to talk <laughs> about that. Let's get let's let's get to that. Um so they go back to the Rising Stones. Kyle says, uh, okay, uh, I'm gonna go to Charlene and pet petition a for A. To go talk to. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, oh, all right, great. Uh, and then she's also like, hey, Sydney, well, you I'm should, gone. you should join the Scions, you know. And and uh, Alfino has the like the the the, the kind of sad puppy uh, puppy dog guy look at Estidian, like, please join us. I'm in a bad mm -hmm. spot emotionally. And Estidian's like, all right, fine. You'll so. just find me anyway. This is the yeah. the cause that of my favorite scenes <laughs> in the patch, I think, because. Um... Like, all right, for one, we knew Estidian was going to join the Scions eventually because Yoshida said sure. flat out years ago, like, yeah, I want Estidian to join the Scions. Mm -hmm. So, like, it was coming. Like, Yoshida has for years just been like, I love Estidian. I want to find a way to use him in the game more. Like, I see him as this guy who just, he's part of the Scions, but he's not. Like, he's in the background somewhere, but he'll help out when you need him. So, like, I felt like this was coming. But yeah, to see it happen was the cause of my two favorite kind of like interactions first Uriange in the corner like wow we've got a new friend I'd like to learn a little bit yes. more about him I'm gonna get him a book yeah like you yeah. don't know him at all I was gonna okay. mention that. <laughs> but I think it would be even funnier if he found a book that Estinian liked yes. and we see Estinian just like sitting on a boat somewhere in a corner with like a handful of like fried octopus and a book like yes. <laughs> It's how but, to ride dragons. The yeah. compendium. Yeah, it's so cute. Right? I was, Please, I was just like artists, artists in the community. Okay, <laughs> I want, I want Estinian in like Rosethan or Thavnir sitting on a bench, eating his squid, reading like a uh, a uh, 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 like dragon riding for dummies book. Yeah. That that's that has like a little like two Estinian from Uriange tag on it. How to train your dragon? Yeah. It was so how to you my, know, like, it's just well-loved. My aggressive little, head little, like, Oriange, which I will continue to just, yeah. like, absolutely repeat to death, is that he is this, like, Shakespeare-loving D&D DM, like, mm. this super mega nerd. And that little dialogue was so endearing, Moose, when he's just like, Oh, both. Thou, thou'st also be an Elizin, and I to my too am an Elizin close to mine age. So, how does one do a social interaction? <laughs> I hath written treatises. And I was like, oh, you big nerd. He's not going to care <laughs> about your dumb treatises. 
He's not going to care, but you go and you try, and maybe. And I do hope that we see him, like, with the book, with the treatise, with the friendship time. Because it's maybe, so Maybe use it in an astral. What was that? What was that? Did you play 1.0 by chance, Rook? Did I what, what, what? Play 1.0. I didn't. I didn't. I wish I had. You would have loved this one particular scene. Uriange, when he first appears, is actually presented as this possible antagonist figure. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. he is this mm -hmm. ancient, immortal, prophecy-wielding guy. And he, like, teleports around just, like, doomsaying and teleporting He's, he's the guy with the cardboard like, sign, like, downtown that's like, the end is yeah, near. That's Uriange in 1.0. Yeah. And Neil Van Darnus is like, how does he know this crap? And starts like chasing him down. So all this attention is on Orianger and everybody thinks he might be evil, which is why I didn't fall for it the second time they said he might be evil because he wasn't the first time. <laughs> and like when it came around to it, the person who thought it was the funniest was Ida because she's like, isn't that the funniest thing? Like, okay, he has spent more time with old books than modern people. He has no idea how to talk to people. He has no idea. Like, he's just, he's like this old-timey character. So mm -hmm. he fit the part perfect, didn't he? Like, yeah. so she thought it was hilarious. So I think a lot of people read him like you do. Yeah. I love it! The other, the, other part that got, the other part that got me really good was... Um, where Istinian's like, yeah, I'm officially part of the club. And they're like, great, we're going to a meeting. He's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bye. Uh, I have a, a question for better memories uh, of 1.0 than mine. Um, Istinian is in 1.0. Yes. Yeah? In the Dragoon yeah, Dragoon, yep. Yes. In the is Only he... in the Dragoon. Yeah. Yeah. Is he... Is that storyline prior to when Uriange shows up? Or, like, similar time space? <sighs> I don't think similar it mentions time, but it, it would probably have to be similar time space. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm just thinking, like, it, wouldn't it be funny if he was actually there before everybody else? So he ends up in a, in a roundabout way being the first scion we meet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, like uh, they. I'm trying to think of like the the contemporary like where we were in the seventh Umbral storyline when Jobs first showed yeah, up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because they. Mm. They both kind of in the same basket, but they weren't entwined yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't remember it at all. It it probably would have been like at least a patch before Urianje, and they started doing the uh, like the yeah. GM controlled NPCs and stuff. Because yeah, that was that was the other part of it. You would get you would get GMs yeah. basically controlling like NPCs of like Urianje and uh, and and Nail like walking around mm -hmm. and being like, "Hey, look at this guy! Don't believe him!" Or yeah. you know, like they they just said, they did some really cool stuff. You'd have the reporters it, handing out like fireworks for like the different like newspapers. Super reminiscent to an MMO that nobody played because it died immediately. The Matrix Online, in which they had yes, GMs I was play just Morpheus. thinking about yes, that. Right? Yes, you could go to the club the beta. and. And yeah. you would have like a dude typing as like the Merovingian or something yeah. up in the club. Like, yes, it was great. Story. I am oh. so glad that today on this lore cast, I have learned more about Orianje thanks mm -hmm. to Moose and One Point Orianje. I so wish that that had been like the beginning of our intro to Orianje, and then like Moonbrita had showed up and just like yanked his hood off and been like, "You big dumb nerd! No one yeah. understands what you're saying. Stop it!" <laughs> like it would have just been so uh. good. I um. I love Gosh. all the stuff about him. 
I, that's why I can't understand when Fusion is like, oh, Uyang J killed that guy. I'm like, are you kidding He me? lied to us, and we called him out on his bullshit. And he's like, my bad, I won't do it again. Hey, Yishtola, we probably shouldn't tell him about the Oracle of Darkness thing, right? And I'm like, bro. <laughs> Listen. You just told me. He's got to go on a journey, too. Tell yeah. me lies. Just... Tell me sweet little lies. <laughs> but this is actually something that I hadn't really considered until now, and as we look ahead to Sherlion, right? Mm-hmm. The Scions are unique in that, as far as coming from Charline, and especially if we think that Charline's been over there doing all kinds of sneaky, shady shenanigans, yep. which is very possible, keeping all kinds of knowledge hidden. We don't know yet, but maybe. Um, the Nautilus. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 but, but uh, good, good I mean, it's interesting because many of the Scions that we know chose to follow Louis Swa in this much more hands-on approach where they were going, we need to use the knowledge that we have to affect the world. And in a sense, there is a risk with that, right? Because if we think we know things and we act on it, then we could lead to greater harm. Um, and maybe sometimes there are cases where withholding knowledge is better for the overall public. But the idea that knowledge in and of itself is something that should be shared and given freely is also a really good ideal and something that is honorable. And in all of the other scions, I think we see a greater extent of embracing that. Whereas I believe that Orianje as a figure is someone who maybe still more so than the other scions believes in the doctrines of Sherlion. And I had never really considered that with him as a figure before and why he might withhold knowledge or keep knowledge or, you know, involve himself in these ways that are more ambiguous. Um, And I mean, one, I think it is because he's a big dork and he doesn't, he likes to play at ancient prophecies and be a mystery man because Mm -hmm. who doesn't want to dress up in costume and go have fun sometimes. But also I think it is because he himself may believe some of it, right? right? That there Mm -hmm. may be this belief that there are times where knowledge can harm or that knowledge shouldn't yeah. be shared. Like you just and said, don't tell them that. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, so I don't know a, if I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say. He's a very rigid pragmatist, which is why Elidibus yes. sought him out in the first place. He is willing to say like, well, we could tell people this, but it might complicate the situation in a way that we don't reach the best outcome so we need to focus also on the outcomes which is why i think elidibus tried so hard to bring it yes yes because that's what like (laughs) elidibus did the exact opposite thing for years which was he told you just enough to get you to come to the conclusion he wanted you to and not enough to show you why it was the wrong idea whereas uriange is telling you just enough to feel confident in what you're doing without the stuff that would make you doubt. And that's where we get into the issues of people being frustrated with him, because even though we did mm. go for the outcome, we didn't have consent in it. We weren't going for it. We weren't, yeah. we, you know, we didn't, like, I, I would use the term informed consent. He didn't give us informed mm. consent to our own plan. So he's doing it in the opposite way as Elidibus, and in that one situation, used it to undo Elidibus. Yes. What? Could, could could you say that Urianje has been playing his own cards? Ah, uh, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> yeah, I see. I mean, I can absolutely see Fusion why. And again, everybody's entitled to like and dislike sure. characters. You know, like there are some characters that I just absolutely take the piss out of all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> but like, you know, everybody's allowed to. Yeah. Um, and I think there are things about him that are kind of disagreeable. And I would like to see him maybe have to confront some of that. Although we haven't seen him in Charline, we've seen him in Thavnayir and stuff there. Mm-hmm. But I think he'll be a unique facet into this as somebody who might have practiced what the Charlines preach for a while, even as he was supposedly kind of taking his own path away from them to do something. And him having to learn to connect with others and I think trust others with we can all execute this together as mm-hmm. opposed to like my knowledge is enough for all of us is a very different thing that I I could see being resonant on multiple levels with the mm-hmm. Sherlyans if they decide to go that route. I would just like to quickly uh, personally thank you, Moose, for giving such a good explanation for why Urianje is allowed to be a liar. Sure. Because my explanation to Fusion is always like, no, it's all right, it's fine. And you gave the details that are like, no, really, like, check it out. That was pretty good, right? (laughs) Right. To me, it's just another example of the Asians and their use of convictions and knowledge as weapons Mm. against yourself, you know? And and Urianje knows, yeah, we, we can do that. Let's not do that. But that, to me, you know, as we're talking about Ariadne J, it makes me think of the trailer and how they portrayed his emotions in that trailer when he's like, this is the end of days. Have we seen him scared before? Like, really? Like, not trying to make people aware of something, like in 1.0, but actually really afraid. I don't think think we've ever seen him. We've seen him maybe a little little emotionally, like, a little bit sad, but not like, oh, God! to me, is the scion who has never reacted to the to the information, right? He's made that plan. He's been like, okay, all right, so I got this plan, so I'll do this, I'll do that. And then to see him in the trailer when talking to Thancred, going, you know, this is the end of days. Like, it came earlier than we thought. It's over. And, like, you know, they even had the voice actor do a little bit of a shaky voice there. And to me, that's more terrifying than anything else in there. If Uriyashe mm. is scared, what is going on? Well, you know what it is? Well, it's because he's the socially awkward character that loves to LARP, sure. and so he's always in character, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, okay, now it's the end of days. Uh, this is this is real now. Before yeah. I was just, you know, playing around with some people, yeah. and you know. Yeah, I played with the LARP me. group that came over from the first, had some fun with them. Yeah, and the only other thing about this scene, because we're still on that scene, is that I think Kral could just find you wherever you are with the Echo, and that's why Asinian's like, okay, you know what, I'm not even going to leave anymore. I you love Asinian exactly and Kral. It's like that cursed Baldessian woman. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of worried about Kral. I'm going to be real with everybody. Sure. The fact that like she was supposedly going to Sherlyon to set this up, yet she's not in any of the trailers. She's not in Sherlyon. She's not in the banner art. Well, she's not. She we, didn't come up. That, uh, address. Mm. She went. Oh, did we? And they said no, and she's back. Well, oh, that's true. Back. Well, sure. I just am worried, though, because we haven't seen her in yeah. the other yeah, iconic like stuff yet from the She's not ever in anything. They're always like, you're cute, but take your little kitty hood and go sit over there. Yeah. The fact that she has been so closely associated with Tataru, like they've been mm-hmm. a dynamic duo for months, and the fact that Tataru's front and center on the poster and Kral's not on the poster at all, that, that makes me a little worried for her. Like, yeah. a little, a little She's bit. actually the lady at the top and has just been hiding in her little kitty <laughs> <laughs> she just pulls or, it back and she or, looks like or let's let's go let's go big brain for a minute the the tatru on the poster is just is just to mislead you so the 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 woman we think is actually vanat is actually like like Kryle standing on tatru's shoulders under a big mm. robe mm. interesting does have a different outfit on maybe Kryle is changing outfits to look like tatru 
We're just mm. going down a slope of dumb stuff. I'm sorry. It, it's it's <laughs> oh the it's God. the Yita Lee thing again. I was crying all along. <laughs> right. Please no. next to each other. Magic. Estonian's yeah. like, no, uh you both bothered the hell out of me. Yeah. He would be the one to know. Uh huh. Oh, all right. Well. So. <laughs> Uh, gosh, where, where even were we? Uh, yeah, Kryle tells the group that she's gonna go to Charlayan. Uh, Sinian is invited to join the Scions. Uh, and then we see Xenos, uh, shopping at Weapons R Us. And, uh, and, and Fan Daniel shows up. He's like, just, he's like, it, it's been, pillar. it's been, it's mm. been like two months. Would you just pick one already? Right. And so he's like, I'm gonna pick this one behind this pillar that nobody can see. Mm. Uh, that also just happens to have uh, the Garlean symbol on it, um, which which is weird because like first off, I didn't think he really cared that much about Garlemald anymore, but his scythe definitely has the Gar the Garlemald uh, insignia right. on it, and of course it's a gun scythe because reasons. Surprise! Um, that symbol's actually something else related to Zodiac. Could be. Ooh. You never know. You never know. Um, then. Uh, the Scions are invited to a meeting, which Justinian is like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'll help you guys out with fighting things, but talking uh -huh. things isn't really, like, my thing. So they go to Alamigo, uh, they chat with the members of the Eorzean Alliance, as well as delegates from the various beast tribes. Uh, Nanamo gives some crazy side-eyes to the Sahagin when he's, like, just like, Aah! Like, that's... Um, okay, I'm sorry, that voice actor committed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he totally, totally did it. Like I live for that moist, sibilant, Sahagin voice. Mm. I just, I okay. had this realization watching that scene. That and please correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of those races, minus the kobolds, maybe sylphs, we have never heard them voiced before. Am I right? I. That's true. Yeah. Because we've seen their dialogue written, Just we've seen grunts. some of the affectations that they have, but we've—I I think a lot of them because their stories were told through the tribe quests. Almost all—they're all unvoiced, and I realized we, as I was sitting there, we've known like, how Ixal talk since we mm -hmm. since like end of ARR simply because we just talked to Koji about him and he's like, oh yeah, no, it totally. Uh, what was the um. Dark Crystal, man. Skeksis from the Dark Crystal, yeah. So I we kind of have, have known. With the oh, that story all the time yeah. of like me and Koji having known each other for five minutes. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm. And you just like, what are they doing? Yeah, I had never <laughs> seen Dark Crystal, so I'm just like, you guys do you. I okay, I'll be over here if you if you need me for anything. You guys do your your. your... I love it. <clears throat> I love it. I see. Okay, so I see in the chat, uh, Amaljot Ixal Kobolds 2.0, right when you fight, like, there's, like, the Titan Garuda. Like, there are some mm -hmm. voice moments and bits where you get them. That's right. So how can we heard in 2.2? But it is one of those things where this has been a kind of weird... This is just who I am. And, of course, this is a game that's in many languages, so I acknowledge that. It's, it's just different, right? But mm -hmm. if you're listening to English... Um, I always, it drives me up the wall when you get a fantasy world and everybody got fantasy British accents. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong, there's a real place for, for British accents mm -hmm. in this world. But even what you hear in a lot of fantasy games, a lot of times it's like, even US actors or American actors are putting on this like, weird, fake, fantasy British accent. 
Yes. And um, like even the actual dialects of Britain are far more varied. And so mm. I always like to hear textural differences in dialects and like regional speech and like cultural sort of sure. things. And one thing that's so fun about any time that you have like a race that's themed after creatures, right? Mm. You can really play with the way that they might, you know, bird people whistling or making these strange right. little like high pitches and all sorts of stuff. Or in this case, the Sahagin. And I loved the voice acting that that man with a mouthful of mm -hmm. water did. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I thought it gave me such a feel for them. It was burbly. It was delightful. And it was just so cool <laughs> to see them all in one place. Right. We've never you seen know. the leaders together in that way. Go ahead, Elvio. something to think about. It's, a lot of them don't have lips. I'm just going to tell you right now. So how would they even <laughs> write, make some of these sounds? It's kind of like, it's you know, you look at some races and you're like, I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would talk. But yeah, you know, it's kind of that. A little mm -hmm. bit. Because, like, much much like I did imagine the Ixel talked like the Skeksis, I also imagined yeah. that Sahagin above water just mostly sounded like Krabby from Pokemon. Right. This has is, this is really upset my head, can it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because this, this is reminding me of uh, one of my favorite, I think it's a robot chicken sketch, where it's, uh, they're on the Death Star, it's like the little meeting room with all the officers, and uh, this one guy goes, yeah, I have a question. If we why why do we all have British accents if we're in space and like Vader like force chokes him? <laughs> it's you know, just it's a, a weird thing. It's it's a weird yeah. ideal. I mean, I'm it sure is. if we're actually yeah. tracing this back, right? When we look at Western fantasy as a genre, yeah. a lot of it is based in particularly Tolkien's work, Lord of the Rings. There is a precedent yep. and a reason that at least Western fantasy draws from like British mm -hmm. folklore traditions and things like that, right? There, it, it's it's there, it's there. Um, it's but, the default fantasy. Land well, and 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 you know, even on. even before before Tolkien, you know that that Arthurian kind of stuff, right? The castles mm -hmm. and the knights. It's it's all of that, and then you get Tolkien with the the, the more fantasy elements. It's just that kind of that yeah, culmination of all of that, yeah. Culture piles up. You hear like you mm -hmm. hear fantasy. You think old. You think old. You think pre-American. You think British English. It's just like when you think exactly. about like how many times do you hear like magic and you immediately start thinking Latin. Like it's just what you kind mm -hmm. of expect after years of alchemy and the church speaking Latin. It's just like culture piles up. Yes, and yet yeah. it's a very Western mentality, right? Yes, fantasy definitely. exists in all cultures all around the world folklore, mythology, it exists in all cultures around the world. Um, I think that Tolkien's work in particular became publicized and, and, and disseminated on mm -hmm. a scale that turned it into this genre that would then set the precedent for a lot of Western work. Um, so, I mean, it's great now seeing a lot of other authors and a lot of other influences from all over bringing their own folklore and culture and mythology. And I just like it when I see in a game or something, right? Because I don't think the Ixali voice actor committed as much as the Sahaga no. one. Mm -hmm. I'll be real. No, definitely not. And there was no Skeksy there. Like, there was a little bit of, like, Roldars. And I was like, great for you. Where's my bird? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, just I just remember, I remember um, them saying we couldn't speak yeah. Ixali because there were too many complex sounds they make with the beak for us to speak it. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, where them sounds at, guy? No, I would have loved it if they put some like whistle tones in or some like weird interrupting clicks. Little clicks. Yes, I would have loved it. That would have been so cool. But as it is, even so, I think we saw more diversity in their dialects, at least in the English version. I'm not sure how it actually, I haven't listened to it in Japanese, the other ones yet, but um, that was nice to see because it felt that would be distinctive interesting. to me. 
Yeah, I kind of want. I, I kind of want to change my my voiceover stuff and go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Moose might know. Moose, you listen to a lot of it in the different languages. Yeah. I mean, like, I haven't listened to that scene yet, so I can't say for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't want to make a, a false claim. Like right now, my brain is just stuck imagining the guy who did the voiceover, like stumbling upon this episode and sending them an email, like, "What the hell, liner notes? I could have used some liner notes." Like, right. Know this crap? Like, I, I, I see. I'm see. I'm, I'm hearing all this, and I'm like, I just want the video of like the behind the scenes, the guy that did the Sahagen, like in the recording booth, just with like his giant thing of water, and just like, oh, I don't know, like trying to. Yeah. Oh, Ivory actually brings up a really good point, and that Hien was there at the council, but there was there wasn't actually any representation of Dome and Beast tribes. So the uh, right. we didn't see the Koji or Namazu. Although, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an Eorzean thing. And yeah, they're not like Eorzea proper. I guess. I guess he was there as like a consultant. Also, also, <laughs> also uh, I, I just remember, we've been talking about this scene forever, and I just remember this part. Why didn't those beast people have chairs? I Everybody know. else is sitting down. They're like, all right, all right. Okay. If, well, if you guys could come in and just stand here. And yes. no, and I don't want to hear, like, well, they didn't have did time to, like, me. model sitting for all the. No, 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 no. You give those people chairs. Well, I think it's more that the actual physicality of those different bodies is weird to put in chairs. But we know from actual Although, lore in the game that they have different, mm -hmm. like, furnishings, right? So, like, with yeah. the, um, oh, snake people are called. Ananta. The, Ananta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Ananta, they got their, they have their like, weird bed table things. They have yeah. their like reclining mm -hmm. couches. They have mm -hmm. um, like that's actually lore from those tribe quests that I loved. Yeah. Like their little mm -hmm. furnishings and the fact that they have those little couches and they have the I, cushions. I, and I, like, that one in thing. particular was really funny because they they're like, yeah, we're gonna like make this in for like people to stay on when they're like going by the bridge. We got these nice beds. It's like that's that's not how the or rest how of we us have sleep. that. <laughs> East tribes, but no one has been able to explain to me how an Aura sleeps. Right. I have an answer. They like they gotta have like a neck. Yes, like, it's mm -hmm. like more like a traditional. It's more like a traditional. Well, the theory I've heard a lot of people say is that it's more like a traditional Japanese neck stand, where you'd have the little mm -hmm. piece of wood and you'd like rest your head back, like your neck back on it. Like the only thing I can. It's the only thing I got. That's it. Yeah. Um, they, they next time we get a chance to talk to Koji, else. that's that's at the top of the list. Oh I don't want to sleep. Master list. Hold on, I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that could be a thing. Show me an hour. How, how do <laughs> Alra kiss without impaling each other's faces with their horns? Well, they just nuzzle their horns together. They just nuzzle their obviously. horns. Obviously. Yeah. So, so then we already know that. So then the next logical Alra related question was be would be how do they sleep? Yeah. <laughs> they just replace they replace their pillow every week they just poke holes in it oh, with geez. Oh, geez. Uh, it's super super memory foam just like, yeah i mean go. i love it all i'm also a big role-playing nerd so look some, some questions are just very play. important okay yeah. very um, so okay give them a okay. little bit for for the no chairs thing i definitely had the thought like apparently many other people did like why they got chairs but they, mm -hmm. they kind of didn't know if, if the tribes were going to show up to the meeting also. <laughs> but yes. they should have, like, if you're, if you're trying to make this in, like, big, solidarity. if like, you're making this big case. diplomatic push, yeah. you want to give them chairs. Just blame I mean, it on it COVID just and move on. It like, does still like, look, feel very 
separated. Put them right? like, behind a big table. Are. Don't even make the mm-hmm. sitting animation. Just clip their torso down by the table and yeah. whatever. Don't show them from behind. It's fine. We will accept it. You but not give them any chairs. Go ahead, Charles. I was going to say, you know that if they wanted to put them at the table, they would have. Remember, Tesslin mm. pushing the mask through the face. Remember... Uh, from the dev panel this time, the bones of like Omega M and F to to change them, right? That's they will right, find yeah. a way. They certainly yeah. will. I'm sure hmm. they just went like, "This is just a thing. And, it's not even the new expansion. We're yeah. just gonna, you know." Well, I'm you sure know. that was it. But one thing <laughs> yeah. that I did want to note, also in conjunction mm-hmm. with that, is that we've seen the new language that's replaced things, right? So like on the announcement showcase, we saw that the yeah. Beast tribes have been changed to tribes. One thing that did catch my attention in Point five five is that they are still called by NPCs beast tribes. Yeah. Like the guy who right. comes to get I, you says. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. I think you know that's that was something, right? I don't know how how deep into this this rabbit hole we want to go, right? But it's that idea of look, you know, it's like dragons and Ishgard, right? We've been at war with these races sure. for so long. There is going to we we need that that period between like okay, now we're not fighting, we're going to be friends. There's still going to be that period of strife where not everybody sees them as allies. There's, you know, there's going to be that tension. And so maybe the guy that set up that meeting room was like, I ain't putting chairs in there for no beast. Power move. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Power move. He's like, I feel like like you could read it that way, but I also feel like that's a pretty strong way to read it. Right. Right. Way too deep. But I think there's, there's definitely like from a story element, I think like, yes, we, slowly like even if you go back and and you look at um you know again my wife's been going through arr again with new game plus she's been leveling black Mm -hmm. mage which that quest you know interacts with some of the 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 other beast tribes because it this whole game has always been in some way kind of building towards that idea of having these friendly relationships with these Mm -hmm. these these tribes and so narratively now from the msq we're getting that that big kind of like push right that we kind of saw at the end right. of like heavens where like midgard stormers like i'm gonna fly into ishgard and here's this guy and we're friends and everything's cool now and it's like this is that moment uh without any 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 anyone sitting on 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 a chair and then you know society <laughs> will then a- adapt to that right maybe that's part of of 6.1 uh right yeah. where we're everybody's kind of coming to terms with everything i who knows isn't it I mean, more prevalent in Hingashi and Doma for quote unquote beast tribes to be in the cities normally? So I think so. So Hien is there know. as like their how do we talk to beastmen guy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So bad. All things aside, um and all the critique about the chairs, which honestly I'll be real, I didn't even think about that when I was going through it. I didn't even think <laughs> about that. But I mean, yeah, it is a really weird thing and I do agree. It's I think such a it is such a stupid a thing to like you notice it and you're like what? Yeah, they don't have chairs. And then it yeah. suddenly turns it's like, why don't they have chairs? Like, it's just it's well, chairs. <laughs> it could have also been a very conscious visual decision. Because mm-hmm. if you're thinking oh, yeah. about the perspective of that scene, right? The the image from that scene that really struck me was the fact that one, they very clearly are trying to make all of the different peoples and groups' faces visible. So, like gathered sure. around the table, you have that amazing shot of everybody all down the sides and then the group in the back oh my gosh Mm. i teared up like i'm not gonna lie i actually teared up during this because there's no other scene where all these characters have been just in one place and that these tribes and these entities and these 
And it felt to me like such a moment where I really, it hit me, oh my gosh, and Walker is really happening. It's happening in November, it's happening. And like, this is gonna be a culmination of these 10 years, this journey that people have taken even longer than that with 1.0 and everything, you know, it's, it's just, it hit me. And so I'm sure that part of that was very intentional visually, where like mm. if you'd have if you'd had like a bunch of them on one end of the table, their backs would have been turned to you, and then on the other side you would have had some blockage of line of sight. Mm. I also just think it's because they didn't want to animate them all on chairs. I also sure. I mean I think it's more of like a but however, with the actual narrative that we have, does that context once again read dissonantly? Yes. Like I yeah. absolutely agree. So it's kind of a weird complex moment but i think yeah. the emotion still hit me well mm -hmm. but in retrospect i do think that visually it sends a conflicting message that doesn't quite line up with what they're doing narratively right. you know when next you, time when we you see mention... them all go ahead mm -hmm. no go ahead i was just gonna say next time we see them all they'll be in chairs oh you know <laughs> but what i was gonna say it's it's funny that you you mentioned you know you got emotional about that scene because to me you know it was like okay we'll go talk to them it felt like the same scene with varus right when we were like, okay, let's go parlay. Varys' idea was to be smushed into one race and then take out the Asians from then. This is what we're seeing at that table. Eorzea smushing into one unified, mm. I'm not going to say race, but you know, whole. Exactly how Varys Coming, coming together. To me, that was yeah. really symmetrical. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, so that's what it, hit me. I think it highlights what we wanted from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Not that we can't get along unless we destroy everything and right. go back to being one race, but that yeah. we can bring everyone together around shared ideals that celebrate the unique things each of us bring to the table. Like it's a very diversity exactly. driven message. And I think right. that that's probably much more in line with the themes of the game than something like Varas was pushing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah, that so, just struck me when we were looking at that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, point. I like it. The meeting ends. They form the Grand Company of Eorzea, and Alphano was like, I "Hey, hate. that's that was my name. Why did you say mine?" It depended on you know how the dialogue options go. He's like, "I wanted to yeah. call it that." Um, Connie They're said, like, a, uh, "What do you want to name it?" And I'm like, "Oh, I hate Grand Company of Eorzea. That sounds terrible." So I pick the other option, and then Ali says, "Like Grand Company of Eorzea," and I'm like, "Man, I thought we were friends." I want to call okay. it Alphano's Dude Bros. This is the link show we've all been so waiting for. Cool I have to take. Could have called it. I have to take a quick poll. Sure. I also don't like Grand Company of Eorzea. I understand no. the themes. I understand mm -hmm. the repercut, like the the connotation for Alphano. I think it fits in it. Works that it, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But personally, I was like, oh, yeah. well, it's I guess like that's Nick what we're gonna street, go. A street How that goes over a river. River Street. Oh, <laughs> very, very <laughs> team I mean, awesome. Okay. Let me break it down a little bit more, and then I mean I do want to hear what each of you thought about it. Like, on one hand, it very much works because I think even early on in the game, the idea of dividing content in the game by grand company was a big thing, right? You have these three grand companies in PvP, you fight against each other, you do all the things, and it's like I think that now saying we are all one is a great thing. I think the idea of all being adventurers in service to Eorzea is also very good. I don't dis, like, it's like, I don't, it's fine, mm. it's fine. But I just think it sounds boring. <laughs> sure. Sure. And personally, Crystal look, Braves. Look, 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 they, they just, they they just formed, right? They haven't hired the marketing team yet, right? They, they, sure. They'll they get right. a better name. Um, they will you know. workshop in it, you know? 
Right. Then everybody is going to betray us and we're going to be sad. So we'll name it something dumb so that no betrayals <laughs> happen. It's, I just, it's, just oh gosh, leave I almost said of it. Eorzea off. The grand company. Like what? That's what we have. And we are mm. one now. We are one grand company. Like that no, would go, be fine go up. too. He ends there. Like, go, come up on. Something, go up something better. The, the no. Uh, yeah, the superior company. <laughs> I don't know the, the <laughs> super greatest company. Something better. Super yeah. super greatest hyper company. Go. Eorzean <laughs> League. Somebody in chat said See, the Eorzean right Union, now. which made me giggle. Yeah, yeah. Gazelle says the Grand Ur Company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that one a lot. <laughs> Grandest company. Uh, okay, so. Uh, they form the grand company of Eorzea. No, when we join up with Doma and oh, Gashi, that'll be the grandest company. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't hear, Moose, do you think, what do you think about grand company <laughs> of Eorzea? Uh, sure. Um, yeah. I think, I think if we go in terms of what we were told that the grand companies mean, um, pooling resources, bringing everyone together, and acting as one in a time where we're faced with a calamity. It might not be like the same calamity we're used to, but thematically it tracks. It's, it's sure. what that name is supposed to be. But on the other hand, I also found it as a very like city-states as normative name. So it's mm -hmm. like, I found it as not being a terribly inclusive name. We're just doing right. something like, I, I don't think it highlights very well that the these tribes have been fighting the grand companies for a while. Maybe calling the thing they just joined a grand company is a little insensitive, but like, maybe. so I was a little on each side. It works and it doesn't at the same time. I think it does. I think it's another thing like not having chairs for them. Like it was just like a very, we're all together, but we're still kind of better thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, right. That maybe that's something that they'll, they'll touch on narratively as we go forward. We don't, we don't know. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, Connie Senna petitions Alphano to meet with the Sylphs, uh, who are you know big traders in crystals, um, and is asking uh, you know for counsel on the newly formed coalition. They want to make sure everything is going to be be okay. That it's not gonna they're not gonna pull a crystal braves right. And Alphano is like, I actually I have a this document that I wrote that said how I effed up, and here it yeah. is. Um, and I just, I'm sorry, I just have to say, I actually loved that. I loved it. Because I, yes, it's a move. Yeah. I am that kind of person. I am the person where even if it is the smallest thing that like the other person didn't even probably register in my head, I write an essay about like everything I did mm -hmm. yesterday that was wrong when I said that one thing <laughs> that I thought maybe made them mad at me. Now let us go. It begins. And like, I yep. have been known to also write tangible, not even journal, I can't even call them journals. They are just essays about my feelings about things. Mass Effect 3's ending was one. And then I sometimes <laughs> do it as well about just stuff in my life that I feel like, wow, sure. I really goofed that I need some retrospection. So him saying this, I adored it. It felt so human. It felt so appropriate to him, or Ellison. It felt so appropriate yeah. to him as a character. And um, I think it also goes to share that, like, I always tell this to everybody. Not all characters have to be likable always. And I think we have mm -hmm. to remember that because, like, there are a lot of characters that in various periods are incredibly unlikable. And then sometimes, like, player bases will latch onto it and never forgive them for the incredibly dumb yes. stuff they did. 
And don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, Alphino has not always been my favorite boy, but I think that sometimes certain characters have to have periods where they are unlikable for whatever reasons to be able to grow and change. And we have to like give them the space to do that. So for me, there was actually something almost cathartic about Alphino saying that, where he was like, I realized even then in that unlikable moment, oh my God, I was the worst. And this was the worst. And this, I, what it happened. And it's kind of, I don't know. It, it touched me in a way, you know, because I think we're all our harshest critic. And yes. I think a lot of this is right. like, just let the boy be. <laughs> like, let him grow. Right now, it is, I, I know for a lot of companies around, it is review season. And I literally had a document of my negative things to mm-hmm. go against what the review was. And this is Alphino revu- reviewing his company, right? He started that, and it was painful. It had to be. But he did it anyway, yeah. right? Like, yeah, Alphino is not having a good patch. He's just, yeah. he's having a time. And this is all yeah, happening, great. like, within oh. days of each other, right? What was that? I have anxiety in general. So, like... Right. I am totally good with admitting that everyone, you know, has their own perspective. We all construct our own realities. Some people aren't going to vibe. There's going to be confirmation bias. You can't control how other people see you. But at the end of the day, when someone doesn't like me for something that's not who I am, I'm like, hmm. So, like, for Alphino to be like, here's a list of all of the ways that I did not did not fuck up. That's very, like, I feel that. Yeah, yeah. same, same. Big same anxiety energy. Same. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they go and meet the sylphs, um, and the meeting kind of gets cut short uh, because hey, there's this guy, there's this delegate from Charlie in here. This bothered me, mm-hmm. like on in a story way. Sure, it makes sense. You're you're just continuing on with what you think you need to be doing. You go out, you get interrupted. Sure, but in the like gameplay way, it's like go the hell out to the sylphs. Also, it's just for a second. Go back. Welcome to quests and MMOs, then. I I know, but they've gotten better about this over time. And for this particular one, I was like, really, really, was us not? Comes down to like the the reintroduction of the Ash Crown, because the Ash Crown was the first big time Mm -hmm. the the recent memory that the city states and the beast tribes had really good relations ever was the Ash Crown Consortium. So to not give them a shout out at various points of the story for like being that trailblazer, it would be a mistake, especially since we barely talked about them since 1.0. Yeah. I was going to say that was a a pretty decent arc in 1.0 from what I can remember. So, uh, yeah. So we go back, um, they say, yeah, somebody is in Gridania from Charlian. Uh, they like they actually sent somebody, and we're like, oh, that's a big deal. Who is it? Oh, it's Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. Okay. We should probably go say hi. They were since... so excited. They were so excited. They're like, Dad's here! Yay! Well, I wouldn't say that they were fully excited. They, were like they haven't. Excited. They haven't seen him yeah. for a while. Yeah, there was some hesitance. But. There was some trepidation, and I also thought mm-hmm. that read really well because even those like first lines of like, "Is it who I think it is?" Oh, right. Is is he? Yeah, only, no. Our only dad. mom writes to us. I know, yeah. and like, I love that because again, it feels. It, I mean, it just great characterization all around. I mean, I right. I notice a lot of those things because they come from like an acting background and and you know have dealt with a lot of scripts and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. those kinds of beats, I think, are so important. Um, And for these two as well, that like trepidation, it broke my heart for them. I'm not going to lie because I could relate to that too. Like I have complex relationships with either of my parents 
And that moment where like, there's that part of you where you're like, gosh, I really hope this is the good, the good visit that I have envisioned Mm -hmm. in my head a hundred times. And then you get there and you're like, well, no, turns out this one really sucks. It's the same one. Yep, it's the same as it has always been. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You can really see that in them. And that is amazing. Yeah. Um, So, um, we basically, we we go into Gridania and, uh, you know, there he comes, Farshafant Levier. Um, And it's, you know, right, we we, we got a little... What's that? Are you gonna you know his real name? Are you gonna call him Forshafont the whole time? Was it Farsh? I thought it was Farshafont. No. Is it Forshano? Oh my god. Forshano. Oh. All right, chat. Forshano. All right, chat. My you brain. Can have it. This man. <laughs> you're doing fusion. You're doing so good, fusion. Do do you're doing what you will. So good. You're I leading thought, this podcast. You're on it. it. Smoking a new t- Twitter meme. We were gonna call him Forshafont. I mean. <laughs> I, I, I would look. Say. These son. these <laughs> names. In my defense, these names. Sure. Yes. That is that yeah. is my defense. That Forchino. is my defense. Fortuno. 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 Yeah. It is Forchino. actually very similar in pacing to to Horshafont as well. It's, it's got that. It's same like it's like it's like you would hear you would hear that at the end of like a like a perfume com- commercial. It's like Fortuno. Like. <laughs> it's like yeah. Alfino, Fortuno. That's why fusion. You were just trying so hard to find one redeeming thing uh, in this man that you gave him the name of a beloved it's, character. See, this, this, is, this is the commercial. It's like, for when you want to smell like the world's biggest asshole. Fortuno. Fortuno. <laughs> <laughs> see, it works. Okay. Um, I actually agree the theory that he's not that bad, but tell me about how he's a dick first. <laughs> I mean, look, we gotta, we gotta tear the man apart. Yeah, we have look, we, 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 we saw him in the Endwalker yeah. trailer, right? And he's like, yeah, Charlie is not helping you, and we're like, oh, okay. So this guy is probably kind of a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. He met our expectations. <laughs> yeah, yeah Comes and there's in. a difference. Like, he might not be a terrible man, but he is for sure a jerk of a father. So that's enough right. to get well, like several bad strikes in my book. <laughs> there are multiple angles, right? To you to take this from, right? Um, one of one of them that they do mention is well, like, look, like, yes, he is one man. Yes, he happens to be our father, but he is speaking for the entire forum, right? He he, mm-hmm. it's it's that don't 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 shoot the messenger kind of thing, right? But right, um, he comes in, he's like, yeah, so we're not helping you, and Alphano and Ali say are basically like, well, that's dumb, like you really should, and they kind of write that idea of idealism, right? That Alphino gets hit hit. For having right by Fordola, right? He's showing that to his father, and his dad is really just like, you know, like that's not what we do. Like your grandfather was an idiot for for getting involved and all this stuff. And Alfino pushes it again, and he's like, you are no longer Livier's, and and it's just like, okay, like I knew you were a jerk, but you're like a mega ultra jerk jerk here. Like holy <laughs> shit, dude. Like, damn. I just want to take yeah. one second to pull back the curtain here because we started talking about this this jerkwad man and immediately <laughs> Anatomy started adding bullet point after bullet point into the moose um, moose perspective moose pre peppy <laughs> don't call me out <laughs> calling out calling calling you out for your wonderful <laughs> bullshit your wonderful perspective 
describing my like logic here. No, no, keep telling me. We're, 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 we're like we're like talking no, 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 in no. the background. He's like prepping his TED talk. He's like, Look, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this counter argument because at face value, this scene does feel very. Well, I mean, okay, look, it's a division of opinions and, and outlooks and mentalities again, right? And we don't really know what's going on with this man behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, it doesn't even seem like the twins really know what's going on with him. He seems like he really keeps mm -hmm. himself aloof and apart from them in a sense. So, like, there could be a big heart underneath there or somebody who's really trying to do what he thinks is right for the world. Again, but we refer back to, like, Orianje's <laughs> moment. That choice that you make sometimes where you're like... Or gosh, even uh, Fordola, where you sit there and you go, do I sacrifice in this moment almost the elements of my humanity to make a choice that in some way I feel adheres to an ideology that's like beyond me, you know, that's like beyond just who I am as an individual. And while there are good things with that, there are times where the actions you take without considering others in the name of an I, an idea, a passion, a, a sense of justice, a sense of I a superiority, I know better or I know what will fix this, where it creates these rifts and divisions that are mm -hmm. real emotional repercussions for others and also, you know, create divisions in in relations and alliances and all sorts of stuff like that. So, it's gonna you know, be, we've seen yeah. prosecutors gonna defend him we can't defend him that's moose's job we're supposed to prosecute him. i just i just want to say real real quick before we let moose do his head talk here i think it's gonna be i think endwalker a thousand percent we are going to just tear into farshano in front of alfino and ali say i think we're just gonna let him have it like verbally we're just gonna like just stick it to him and it's gonna speak? be wonderful you, you know what i mean or or it's going to be a real shame and we have to kill him in that Labyrinthos dungeon with Ali Say and Alphino as our trusts. I was going to say, um, <laughs> we were talking earlier about characters, how we're tired of characters like sacrificing themselves to save someone or to save something, right? And I was just thinking, you know what? This guy could die that way. You know, you know what, what, really, what really needs to, to happen is you, you go in as a tank, right? You get uh, Ali Say and Astinian. Uh, for DPS, you get Alfino as the healer. You fight Fortuno, and then at the end, Asinian and Ali say, "Just go like these are my new dads or my new parents." <laughs> and then yeah. Fortuno has like a single tear as he like boss explodes. Moose, what were you gonna say? What was I gonna say? I mean, I yeah. can just I can I'll I'll do the whole thing. Whatever, I've got all my notes. So first off, um, shout out on the voice actor choice. Actually, I play a lot of horror games. Horror is my first love. So I recognized Anthony Howell right away. If you played like Vampire, mm. Demon Souls, Alien Isolation, this dude jumps right out as a guy who's played multiple characters who had kind of a kind hearted side to them, but is also like a stern dick. He's really good at walking that tightrope. Great choice on him. Giving a shout out to that as just like a longtime horror fan. But okay, to answer what you were saying, like I actually, I think that mansion that we kept seeing, I think that's their home and it's gonna be our oh, totally. new like, uh, I think it's gonna be our new like 
Count Edmont's house. Yes. So I think we're gonna see. I think we're gonna see uh, Fortunalt like at work getting chewed out by Yashola. And as soon as Yashola is done with him, he's gonna get off the clock. He's gonna go home. He's gonna like take his shoes off. He's gonna put his feet up on the couch. And then the warrior light's gonna kick in the door. Like, your kids are home. I'm their dad now. Like, <laughs> it's just he's gonna have to deal with everybody at home. Big fights around the dinner table. I'm looking forward to this. Like, and, and then their their mom just just sees the warrior of light all strong and powerful kicking that door and it's like i agree i'm still gonna be their mother though so we'll see you later and just walks off with our character into the into the, into the charlay and sunset yeah, yeah we should like, write final fantasy 14 <laughs> mom's gonna be like well i think and he's just gonna be done like he there's no safe place for him to go now Ma- Ma- even mom should come out and be like you were kind of a dick <laughs> You, you worth kind of a dick. <laughs> okay. I mean, she's so she's ten- the one who writes to them. I think it's absolutely pos- plausible that she is gonna, upon hearing this, be like, "What the hell?" Yeah, I mean, I wonder if she had foreknowledge. Like, did she? I don't. Know I don't know. I don't is know that we've had uh, if we've heard about divorce in 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 fourteen yet, but maybe oh, we gosh. will in Endwalker. But, I mean, it's an interesting point. I mean, is he doing this for some reason by, like, separating them from the name that's going to somehow help them or enable them to operate yes. in some sort of way? We don't know. See, that's but... that's the thing. Is it is it a secret, A secret like, this is actually good for you, but I can't yeah. tell you why because Yeah, I mean, it still is rude and awful, and it hurt them, and I don't yeah. like it. Like, he again, let people in on what you're doing so that we have informed consent. But if he did not tell her, and then he gets back and he's like, yeah, I disinherited our kids, you know, she's going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I want that to be a voice cutscene. I want to see this now. Um, I'm sorry, Moose. Please continue with your defense of this jerkwad. Okay. Um, So, like, I I see his speech kind of broken down into three sections. I see the first one where he's showing up and he's sincerely being like, "Oh, good, my kids, I've missed you. It's nice to see you." Like, he he's not coming in like, "I'm going to judge you first, and then I'll decide if I'm happy to see you." Like he. So he seems sincerely happy to see them for like the the briefest moment. Um, then I start to see his convictions come out in terms of what he believes Charleon to be and that he can't let go of that, which is, I mean, f- war is what led to the founding of Charleon. War, the War of the Magi caused a calamity, the destruction of the world. They had to flee it together. And that's how Charleon came to be. To, to say that you think war is the answer is to repeat the mistakes that required your nation to come into being at all. So I think he's got this really deeply rooted belief that like, what is war? You're gonna, you're gonna kill half your people, you're gonna use all your resources, you're gonna spoil your land. The world might experience yet another calamity. How long until the people that you claim are victorious recover from what you would call victory? Like, I think there's that deeply rooted sense of Charleon coming out in him. And then I think that kind of recedes for a minute after he's like, look, you do you, but don't put my name on it. Like, don't use my house's name for this. That's all I'm asking you is don't embarrass me like that because it's like, I think that's how he wants it to be framed. But in the end, I see this all as a smokescreen. I see that I see him mm-hmm. delivering a message from the forum that could have been an email. It could have been an email. And yeah. 
he came in person to make sure it was received in a specific way by specific people. And all that says to me is Charlayon's already in motion. They're already doing something and we don't know what it is because like he- the vibe that he has is this is not what we should be fighting. Involving ourselves in your petty squabble is not going to lead to the end that we want because we already know what we're doing. That's well, and, and doing. there's that, there's also that other line and, and he, which I I wish they would have gone deeper into where he's without really giving it any, any kind of a second thought. He's just like, I think we know if the final days were upon us. Like, yeah. So, you know about the final days then. (laughs) Yes. They know something. And I'm, I'm sure it's caught up with labyrinthos and their geo front. And I would say their Gundams, but like (laughs) they're doing something. They are. And I can't help but wonder if, uh, you're dis, uh, disowned is don't come home home is a cult to me like labyrinthos me is just their their fallout shelter they're like we've survived before Mm -hmm. we'll survive this calamity again and and that takes another twist on it you know when he disowns them does he disinherit them from surviving like is does he have that feeling somewhere back there right because killed your children don't like that that's a, mm. that's such like if we that's, do that's get deep. into labyrinthos as a fallout shelter let's say that's their contingency plan to say you can't come back or maybe he's not saying that maybe you don't need to be a level lord to do that but that's a big point right so if we do find out that they're like we're just gonna hide out and he disinherited his children from that oof, man. yeah i mean that'd be well, that'd you know, be bad. yeah Maybe he just he just doesn't want you know the the family name to be out there enough. Right. You know he's already leading the forum. You know they don't want uh, Alphino and Ali say you know you know on the news in front of like destroyed Garlemald being like oh so you you guys had a part in this yeah what's your names the Veer and like Fortunos is like oh my god like <laughs> I was I was happy that you started to put these bullet points there anonymous because to me. He is one of my favorite characters just because of where he is and the kind of nexus point that he is. You know he has to be a skilled diplomat because he's the leader of the forum. It's 100% democracy there. It's going to be wild to keep control like that. So he knows how to do it. He's a great diplomat. You know, he has connections to his children. He wants to save Charlian in the world. And it's just like, poof, just like Fordola. His conviction versus the way you have to work in the world gonna be fun i can't wait to see what he does is he like elitibusing us just giving just giving us that little bit of elitibus is a verb now (laughs) yes you're you're disowned and uh charlian's not helping we did now we have this information and we have to act this way Okay, do not get me started on the nautilus because i (laughs) will do this there's that there's that (laughs) word again knew that was coming i i loved all of the research that you did into the nautilus i don't let them shame you. Thank I you. Thank you, Zed. Yeah. So I, I mean, it was it was good. I just I just laugh every time I think about when you talked about it in the ear thing. Like that's the part that just like okay. makes it funny to me. Look, <laughs> look, confusion. <laughs> oh, we're gonna do this. <laughs> it's gonna symbolism. happen. Symbolism is beautiful. Don't you take this from her? I mean, symbolism is beautiful, but I think there also becomes a point where symbolism is repeatedly shoved in your face in a way that is totally intentional. Like, why in the world would they show us a shot of the floor of what appears to be the inside of one of these towers 
that is very clearly a nautilus shape. Why is this motif themed throughout? Now, like people like to collect of- seashells, okay? Yes, but I think there's also something really compelling about the fact that they have chosen both in the styling of Sherlion, which looks very much like a Greek, ancient Greek inspired, right? We have this with the whole structures, the all the different things there. Um, and then we look at the ancients who also very much have these strong influences of this idea of almost the, the era of philosophers, right? The yeah. uh, Plato's ideal of forms, which is like, these are all very specific things that are referenced. We even see, um, gosh, like in the rebuilding of the crystal tower or the um, crystarium and stuff, there's all those different areas that again are referencing like Greek and Latin and all this stuff that they are very pointedly using. Now, Mm-hmm. All of that said, could it just be that they like it and it's thematic? Yes, absolutely, 110%. But everything else aside, if we're looking at the Nautilus, which ties into greater theories or themes of the Fibonacci sequence, like the Nautilus itself is not actually a perfect example of this, which I think is pretty important. There's a lot of debate about whether or not it even actually is like a golden ratio truly, because the way that they are created by creatures in this world is imperfect and flawed, right? But the symbolism itself, you got me started and I'm going. The symbolism <laughs> itself <laughs> relates to a lot of bigger theories. So again, the idea of almost a thumbprint of a god in the world, the idea of um, uh, intentional design or like creation that was made with a purpose. It's this idea that throughout all of nature, there are these recurring patterns that happen in the way that life is formed and is created that cause these golden ratios, right? So in the case of Sherlion, we see the Nautilus used a lot, this like spiral. We see it even in some of these designs uh, in the, the towers that we've seen, right? intentional design but there's also a bunch of other stuff that go goes into like sacred geometry and things that pertain to this as well right so there's that however sherlion is an imperfect recreation of what they have gleaned from the past maybe led by something like vinat maybe we don't know we have no idea um but we've seen in like the pictures even the ruins and the clouds we've seen this building in this uh, with labyrinthos which again has this name that's inspired by greek mythology Um, And as we were saying, it can refer to the labyrinth with the minotaur, or it can also actually refer to the inner ear. Um, That particular word has meaning that relates to the inner ear, which is shaped like a nautilus. And so um, there's all this stuff, but it's an imperfect recreation. It's an imperfect attempt, right? Whereas in the actual architecture of the ancients, we see much more used, although there are some like in the, um, oh, with uh, Garuda, no, not Garuda. Oh my gosh. Uh, Quetzalcoatl. In that particular dungeon, mm-hmm. um, we see a little bit of this Nautilus as well. But however, it's not used as much in the ancients as the DNA spiral is, the double helix. We see these used all over the place, like spiraling around the aetherites. We see them in those little like separate strands that are woven up. And whereas the Nautilus is an imperfect version, DNA strands are a perfect example of the golden ratio. They are the perhaps ideal. They're the base code of all life. They're the foundation of life as we know it. So how this all connects, I don't know. I don't know how much they're going to use it or not, but it's really fascinating because these are really clear motifs that they've interwoven. And whether or not this is trying to say that like life and the like revelations from the ancients that we have 
it's all a thumbprint of the world that was, or if it's some sort of larger truth that the ancients knew about what the fabric and texture of life was, if it even has something to do with, gosh, the we're talking about anima and this idea of like a mother figure or like something that could cause, like be the creation of life for the ancients as we knew it. I, I have no idea, but it's there and they keep taunting us with it. <laughs> and there's pictures of it everywhere. And I had to research it. So please, please look forward to Rook's new weekly column talking about Nautiluses and Final Fantasy 14 every week until the, the release of Endwalker. Yeah. This is a bit of a confession. I pick on it because I love it. Like I, I, I love this a lot. Um, I watch a lot of ancient aliens. So like the idea of someone being like, how could two cultures who never met each other both use spirals? Like that's awesome to me. Cause if there's <laughs> aliens, like, great, cool. Let's talk about it. Like that's a fun time. That's I see what you fun... did there, Charles. So talk like when, when this comes up, like, what oh, damn if, it, Charles. If she was right. <laughs> What if she was right and we all just sat here, like, not talking about it because it was ridiculous? No, we talk about it because it's ridiculous, because every now and then it's right. I mean, yeah, it's like, the thing is, is that it's gratifying to read into either way. And again, like I said, creators may use these things to certain scales. We don't really know, right? Like, sometimes somebody sees a little design and they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's like ancient Greece stuff and um, the perfect ratio. I don't know, slap it on all the buildings. Yeah. Like, that is an actual valid thing that happens sometimes with game design. However, sure. with some of the, like, larger scale things that they've built around the, I mean, especially the, like, theory of ideals. Um, I love philosophy. There's, a, there's like, some really great books about philosophy that make it really manageable if you're curious about it as well. But... What we've seen that they've drawn directly from Plato's philosophies really does make me think that they have done more research into these, oh, yes. you know, ancient philosophers or ideals. So to me, I'm like, I think it's absolutely feasible that they could be trying to make a larger point about this, but they might not be. How, and and, how and to be you... fair, right, again, I think it's really yeah. cool, you know, not to, to pick on a rook, right? Um, pick on but... me, it's fine. <laughs> Um, gosh, I, I, I remember when, I think it was before 1.0 came out, right? When you have, we had the, the group of, like, crazy Final Fantasy XI fans, were like, yeah, new MMO, it's gonna be great! I think I actually, like, dissected, like, some of the early gear pictures, I'm like, look at the, the, oh, yeah. the symbols they use on the gear, like, what could it mean? So that's, like, where... That first unit of what they said, you know, 2.0 was gonna look like, you know, that amazing, beautiful image, and we we're like, oh, there's a choke. Oh, look at the party list. Oh, look at, you know, and everybody was yeah. looking yep. into so it. So I, I also need to point out, too, um, going back a few minutes, uh, <laughs> me and Zen were both like, damn it, Charles. Um, if you're listening to the audio uh, portion of this podcast, you're going to have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, he, I Dalton just put noticed. A, yeah. Yeah. I literally he, just noticed. It's, it's a little... It's a little, it's a little, little cropped uh, on the on the stream itself. But yeah, he put a, a Nautilus in his. Uh, his I put a Nautilus cam. up on the screen, and I was so deep in my own, my own becoming a meme of me with my interconnected. As people in chat are saying, thank you. Yes, my the meme with like uh, it's always sunny where he's like in front of the board of all the things. I was mm -hmm. so deep in that I didn't even notice you trolling me with the Nautilus. But thank you, Aldina. 
I think it's totally valid to go this deep into the Nautilus stuff because we've seen them go this deep with references before. Uh, you know, honestly, talking about talking about the the DNA spiral now, it's it's absolutely. I think it's going to be we're going to see the folly of man with with whatever Charlene is doing, right? That imperfect society versus a perfect society. Of course, like you know, as we've utopia. we've come to learn that you know maybe Amarat wasn't as perfect uh, either, but more perfect. I don't know. We'll see. More more perfecter. I... <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, like, there are representatives sitting around twiddling their thumbs while the world ends and and, and debating and like yeah. narrative symmetry right now i'm just imagining like the next actual in-person fan fest like the the night the first one ends we're gonna finish the piano show we're gonna go out drinks fun and the next thing you know it's gonna be 5 30 in the morning everyone's gonna be asleep and miserable just want to go home and rook and i are still gonna be like shouting at each other across two couches <laughs> yes i cannot wait sign me it's, it's up. gonna get I'm to the ready. point where, where look is like hey look at my ear do you see a nautilus <laughs> That's all I want now. Somebody's gonna go down there the next day. There's just gonna be like Nautiluses drawn on everything. Yeah. Be like, who's responsible for this? <laughs> Couple people sleep in the hotel lobby. Just have Nautiluses drawn on their face. They didn't get a room for the event. They're just like, I'll sleep in the lobby for a couple hours. It'll be fine. Rook's just like, Holy we're gonna shit. go ahead. And... All right. <laughs> um. All right. So. Um. Yeah. Dad. Dad's a dick. He's he's not a nice guy. Obviously, there there is no doubt something yeah. else going on, right? We don't know what it is, and he doesn't Surface care that level. he looks like a big jerk. Dad, Dad knows but... about the not. He knows about the Nautilus. He knows about it. He knows. Then the group learns that the Telafroi uh, are going to Cartno. They're just they're just going right through Zelfatol. It's only one dungeon. It doesn't take very long to get through. Uh, and they just completely ignore the Ixal there, uh, and they go to Cartno. Um, so everyone's like, oh, well, that's not... Zen, what? I'm flailing, and Fusion yeah. stopped because I'm flailing. As soon as they yeah. were like, ah, we have to go to a battle at Cartno, I was like, what? Are you trying to trigger my 1.0 PTSD? What are you doing to me? Yeah, so th that's definitely, felt... definitely a nod. So... They get to Cartno, um, and and Fanny Pack is you know there look looking over the battlefield as as Fanny Packs do, um, and uh, you basically get into this really cool sequence, right? We 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 kind of tried to to talk about this without talking about it last week because we didn't want to spoil anything. You know the idea of you know. Uh, like what they did versus like an actual like an eight man trial or or whatever for the story, but I thought it was really cool. They basically they break the group down into three groups and then they they show you like a map and they show you like where everybody is and then you like go and you like role play one group and then you come back and you go to role play another one. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, <clears throat> so you end up uh, there's these uh, I forget what they call them, but but there's like these uh, big ethereal beams beacons what were the what was oh, the name yeah, i forget entirely shoot big purple <laughs> attack here glyphs <laughs> oh uh con con something well well it was to mark it was to mark where the confluences were uh, yeah. right because because we you know there's some aether undercart no i don't know if you guys knew that mordona <laughs> there's, there, there's there's some stuff going on over there um 
And so, okay, uh, and immediately that that major confluence at Cartno, I don't think that's ever come up before. But I really, I really appreciate that now that they're just adding that in as a plot point. Like they immediately cut to Urianje, like maybe that's why they buried Omega there. Like, yeah, thanks, mm-hmm. thanks for trying to give that lore some roots, Urianje. I appreciate it. He's <laughs> <laughs> made it up five minutes ago, but thanks, thanks. I yeah, appreciate good, it. Good, good, good job. Um, so you end up uh, doing some some role play um, as Ali, say Grahatia, and Urianje, actually, um, which are you know it's it's all characters we haven't done that for yet right just to kind of like okay now you can say you've like role played almost everybody that is important um i want that tataru like role play sequence maybe like a like yes. a little mining segment trying to get some extra gill be um, so good a haggling like a haggling mini game yes. where yes. little tiny tataru is like the most threatening one in the room <laughs> i just want to buy some some bread and some things so i can make some bread but i don't want to pay that much gill um so the group divides, uh, and you take on Lunar Odin, uh, Lunar Ravana, and Lunar Ifrit. Uh, and this is this is a question that I had too, right? Odin is a little different from a normal primal because of Zantitsukin and Eureka. So, like, I I don't know. Like, I I guess it's it's weird where the where a Lunar Odin would would come from, right? Because like. Ifrit, right? You have the tower at Peglathon, right? That has the kidnapped Amulja that summoned the lunar Ifrit. Um, I, I don't remember if there's one in Dravania, but but that that could make sense, right? That they would kidnap some Nath and they would summon a Ravana. But like, how would Lunar Odin work? I feel like Odin would be, but of course, people may have better, more solid ideas about this than I do. I feel like Odin could be a, a specter of... I mean, Odin actually does plague the Shroud. So even if, like, he himself is not a primal, I think his legend has grown in such a way that fear of him may be viable for those en- like those people or groups that live in the Shroud. That's my sort of initial thought. I'm also just glad they picked a different primal that's a little more unique, kind of like Ravana. Yeah. So, you know, something that's a little different. I always really we like haven't, the we haven't part. We haven't seen Odin for a while. But yeah, it's just, I, you know, if we're going by the by the the thought of like, okay, Beast Tribe captured in a tower summons their primal. Like, Odin doesn't make sense because, like, Odin's like a sword. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like, and I didn't even really think about it any deeper than, eh, they just wanted to make a purple Odin. He's cool. This is a good fight. But like, yeah. It does lead me back to that question, like, where do you start? Like, do you just, like, grab a whole bunch of people and shove them into the wall and then shove the sword into each of their hands and then leave them for a bit? But, like, it just, yeah, it didn't, it didn't make Who's much to sense. say it's a, a carbon copy of the essence of what Odin is? In this case, maybe it's just how those people perceive Odin and they don't know that he is uh, from the weapon. They're just like, yeah. ah, he a guy! We have assumptions about how the tower works based on the one time we've right. seen it work. We mm. don't know that that's necessarily how that's it true. works. That's also very they, true. We know we're also not that- in a tower. <laughs> you know, like Fandaniel could have just been like Odin. Right. We don't. He has him in a pokeball. We don't know too too much yet. Like they did. They did suggest that Bah Lunar Bahamut was from the Maricidian Dragon. So like. 
-hmm. we have some precedent to be suspicious of Odin, but we don't know the full mechanics yet. So I just kind of left it at they just really wanted to use Odin. And I think and I think that that's fair, right? Obviously, it's our job to be like, yeah, but like, how does that work? (laughs) But yeah, maybe it's just like, you know. Odin was like a like you know Odin was in like the the 2.0 cinematic like we haven't used Odin for a while let's bring Odin back and we'll make him a little purple and Urianjay can fight it'll be yeah it'll be fun so you ask about it in a 2023 interview we get an answer we're all happy yeah oh, and you know it's obviously right again with Endwalker we're probably going to be going into one of these towers uh and we'll you know maybe we'll get some more answers we'll figure out how that works um so you take down the primals um Finnegan's like, ah, you got me today, but like, I'm gonna do more stuff later. Like, it's whatever, not a big he deal. He does not care. He doesn't all. care. Um, and then you have you have this really weird scene where like the clouds part and there's like the moon and everybody's like looking up at the moon, and then the the music kicks in. And everyone's just like, yeah, Shadowbringers, and it's like, <laughs> guys, Red Moon on Cartano is screwed up. Why would you do that to me again? Mm-hmm. Granted, it wasn't red when we first saw it. It, it, was, it, was, become, it was more. It does it become was red. More orangey than red. It does become. Yes, it becomes reddish during the course of. Which is the which is color. hysterical because I think like a day or two after the patch, there was actually like a legit like blood moon. Like you yeah, cannot. Like yeah, damn. Don't trust moons. moons they they timed that great. Um, to me, bringing us back to Cartano, I think think that Van Daniel got what he wanted. What he wanted was hmm. terror. That's what they seem to want right. to do. They want to terrify everyone. Kind of mm. like how everyone in Amarat was terrified at the end of days and creation magic went mm. awry. Okay. Like these terminus beasts, these things are just to terrify us. Why else use, you know, why else pick, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Right? <laughs> like Honestly, you know, looking looking at that, the, the, the beast that's in the trailer, I laugh every single sure. time I see it. Because when the Warrior yeah. of Light like destroys him, it looks like it blows the light out its butthole, and it is yeah. the funniest thing in the world to me. No, but that's, <laughs> go, a, back, that's a super... go back and watch it. It's so funny. That's a super great point. Uh, it's Cartano was awful. Terrible things happened yeah. because, well, not yeah. not necessarily because, but right as the Battle of Cartano was happening, and then for the next five years or whatever. So. <sighs> Yeah. Bringing up Cartano is is scary for the people of Eorzea and yeah. even the Warrior of Light. Very likely, even has, even for the pl- for the player and for the narrative, it's kind of like it's like, hey, remember Cartano? That was a thing. Yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, that's ten year story arc. It's all coming back around. <laughs> I've got to agree on the terror front. Like, if we if we take the simple, concise explanation of the final days from Emmett Selk, it's exactly what we're seeing. There's a new force in play. People are unwittingly causing things to appear that they're afraid of. We have to fight them. They turn on us. There's a battle between that kind of um, us and our fears. So I think he's just synthetically creating the same conditions. Um, Again, I have that super biased conspiracy theory that this is all about Zodiac, that... um, you know, before the final days are what led to Zodiac being summoned in the first place. They're what he was, they're what he exists to fix, to bring them back into the world should theoretically empower him. And for people to want the salvation of the world and to pray for that in the way, in the conditions that he was designed to change should theoretically empower him. And I I think that might be where he's going. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, super biased. 
Well, you know, I really back like back no. in in two point there was that idea of like we need to summon primals in order to bring about you know the end of that. Like that was like that was like their, their big. Yeah. What? That would be a mic and a half. Sorry, I missed what you said because it cut like, out for a second. Yeah. One more time. Moose, right before right before you said I dropped the mic, what was the thing you said right before that? Oh, that they they finally made sense of why Zodiac uh, requires the primals. Because back then it was just chaos. Back then it was just like we need to like you when the de developers explained what was going on, it was in the in the realm of like, well, primals create this massive ethereal instability, and it breaks down the walls of or the um the rules of reality when it when the ether is that unstable. Like when the ether is in harmony and everything's stable, primals can't even exist. So it's this feedback loop that breaks down stability and leads to chaos. But we haven't tapped into that lore in a while, and we haven't explained anything with those mechanics in a while. So to come back around to the chaos connecting to the final days and the, the the beasts that they fought in those days and the terror that they inspired, that would be like a hell of a mic drop to be like, oh, yeah, tend it all along. I mean, yeah, you know, we have a theory and a, an idea. I mean, they could take this in so many different ways, right? But I think a lot of people, when you're looking at these two entities, Heidelin or Zodiac, and you're trying to decide, like, what do we do with them? Do we just get rid of them, like primals? What would that even do to the world, you know? Um, do they have to exist in some kind of way with the world the way it is as we know it? So, like, do we have to find a way to reconcile them as two dynamic forces that are somehow balanced? Like, it's interesting to me, these debates, and, you know, are we going to have people embody them? Or, you know, what is going to be the sort of rectification here? Are they going to be merged into one thing? Is Who knows? Who knows? I can answer all yes to all of those. I can find a way to answer yes to all of those. I can say that the reason, I, I, here, I could say the will of light and darkness are not light and darkness, so we can get rid of both. And light and darkness will find their own equilibrium again without their wills. Or I could say that the wills are both necessary because they're the only things that can balance each other now that both exist. You could say that the fusion dance is a good thing or a bad thing if they become one entity. You could say Vana is going to reluctantly do the fusion dance <clears throat> to create the conditions where they can both go away. And hopefully you they get it right and we don't end up with like some weird like chibi or like old skinny like really anxious about. I am really anxious about it, but like, and then the final one for me is like, I always get stuck on one small thing. Like, how can this exist without this? And mine is, if Zodiac was the world soul, and what Heidelin did to him happened to the world, what can we do to Heidelin without changing the world we know, love, and fought for this entire game, if she is currently plugged into that spot? And Maybe I did like. Maybe well, we can. But, but I mean, can. so like I can answer that question. Yeah. Yes, all of them. All of them. Yes, all of them are possible. <laughs> no, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think they're all viable options that they could take right now, right? Um, and yet, even as you were describing the cycle of the primals, that is those two forces at play almost, right? This like burst of energy, frenetic energy, chaos versus stability, peace. Um, ice you know like i just think of that like that tranquility that stability yeah. that like as we talked about with light and ice and obviously e12s i think or uh okay. you know i'm trying to say e9s has been on people's minds to... i disagree that we haven't seen it in a while because it's the entire story of the warrior of light being summoned on the first 
They do this everywhere, every time. They make chaos and give you something to believe in, and then you believe in it and it destroys you. That's what they have done everywhere. To make a flood of light, they made chaos and made you believe that you needed the warrior of light more than the warrior of darkness, and you summon your own demise. They did it on every other world. The Void, I'm sure, they kept people apart and then made them think, oh, we need to overflow, you know, it's got to be the darkness. It just keeps happening. And it's like they're one plus. What was that? Yeah. Is that a great way to weave it all together? Yeah, it, I mean, it does. Yeah. It's a theme that just, like, keeps recurring. And I wonder, too, because we know that a lot of this, um, like, the fragmenting of the world and all these things, right, mm -hmm. was kind of instigated by these events and these forces and Heidelin's really sick dropkick that she did. And, like... <laughs> I wonder, too, if these separate wills and entities have literally created the laws that govern the world as it is to create some kind of balance, right? So if we remove these, the logic almost of those two entities, do we remove the logic of the world? I have no idea, and they really, they can explore just about anything with this, but I do hope, and, and I feel like they've been moving in this direction. I was really surprised, actually, when uh, we had Tiamat talking about Heidelin, like, and then Heidelin was just so chill, and she was like, come over my planet. Just, like, hang out. I'm so sorry mm. stuff happened to you guys. And I was like, wow, we're painting her in a sympathetic light again? Okay. Like, so I'm curious if it is going to end up being something that is more like a reconciliation of balance versus something that is, like, conflict and obliteration that leads to, I don't know, independence and free will. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't know, but I think there are, like you said, Moose, so many ways that you can, using lore that's in the game now, justifies like any of those pathways if they chose to go that way. I think one of the, the things I'm looking forward to the most now, I mean, you know, especially getting into the idea of, you know, the dragons coming from another star and stuff. You know, we had asked Koji uh, years ago at, at, at FanFest, you know, we have these different charts. We have the source. We have the first. You know, and it just we have all these other ones. But like, what about like space? Like, how does that work? Like, is mm -hmm. is it like, are we all planets in in the same space? Are there other like multiple spaces? Like, ah, like so. I'm really curious if if, and I feel like maybe maybe we can get an answer for that because I have I have no doubt that that we'll at least get something with like Midgard Stormer. Obviously, we're getting you know Vitra. Uh, we got Tiamat right now. I I, I hope that they just talk a little bit about that somewhere like uh yeah, can i, I throw mean, it back to cartino yeah. go ahead yeah yeah go ahead That's just okay uh just throw it back to cartino for a second um i made myself sad with the parallel that i drew just now um the first time we go and have battle at cartino uh they they have tried to get people to work together to summon the Twelve, because they think that's what's going to help them to defeat Bahamut, or the Red Moon, or whatever they think it is at the time, right? And they think they're going to use that power to save this place from Dalamud. Uh, and it doesn't work. They didn't get enough power. People didn't believe enough. And when we're going back to Cartoon the second time, uh, there's a different group trying to use everyone's fear. So it's, it's sort of like a parallel of, of hope versus mm. fear. And recalling that hope did not win out before, it's sort of yeah. frightening to put that up against the fear that they're trying to generate now. You know, it's but again, just that's one that's of those the things. whole like, yeah, the whole duality stuff coming back into play. They've just weaved it in so well. Yeah, yeah. or we're looking uh, at it like crazy people with 
magnifying glass and you know yeah <laughs> um so they no. they defeat they defeat the primals then <laughs> daniel's like all right that's fine like I, I there's some other stuff i'm sure i can do um emmerich graciously takes the group back to the rising stones on his own airship and uh, Asinian is forced to talk to Emmerich after trying to avoid him for the uh, entire patch. You know, Asinian didn't want to go to the meeting because, like, I don't want to have to talk to Emmerich and explain what I've been doing and all this. I don't, I don't want to get like the the fr- concerned friend talk from Emmerich, so I'm just not gonna go. Uh, but then they all go on the, uh, the the fancy airship and uh, they end up having their chat. Um, and uh, Emmerich is basically like, okay, uh, we need you guys to look into these towers. Like, that's, like, the next thing, right? Obviously, we, we stopped Fan Daniel for now. Something's up with these towers. Like, that's that's your your mission, right? Um, we hear back from Kryle um, that she's going to try and get permission for the group to go to Charlayan, um, see if they can maybe, you know, look up some, some, some old yield books, right? I'm sure Uriyanje would love mm-hmm. that. Find out, you know, see if there's any way that they can stop these towers. Um, which, you know... It, it, Thinking about that, I, I wonder if that tower is going to be the first dungeon in Endwalker. That would make sense, right? Because that is our most where we go first. Like they they made it seem like Shirlian was more likely to be first, but it might not be. Well, yeah. Hmm. That's hard, right? Because because there's definitely. So I think it's in Thavnir. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Hmm. Guess we'll find out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll, oh. we'll find out the order of that. But, you know, it strikes me that Uranje is not in Charlie and in the trailer. You know, the the only person she stole her. Of course, that could be different time. Mm. He could be there. Um, but yeah, that would that would make sense to go to that Nair first. I don't yeah. know. Well, you know, and, and again, too, right? There's we, we again we talked about this last week with the the trailers, the different trailers we had, where Sh- uh, Shadowbringer was was more of like a a look of like this is what's happened on the first already. Versus where where Endwalker might be a this is what's happening during the expansion potentially right so we'll have to see um, but then yeah going back Yushtola uh, is doing doing some ethereal scene as as Yushtola does with her her, her eyes uh, and notices that the Special towers eyes. are draining the lifeblood from the land they are not good towers they are bad towers I wonder um, why it took them that long to notice that <laughs> like what. Yeah, it seems like a pretty big thing you would notice they, pretty they, early on. They, but. they needed an excuse to be out. What are these towers out? doing? Hmm, let's check the they, basics. Oh, they're draining Aether. Come on. They, they needed an excuse to be out in the middle of nowhere and for, for, for the Warrior of Light to just have a, have a moment, right? Uh, so after this, the group starts to walk back and you hear a voice in your head. We have not heard a voice in our head for a very long time. <laughs> um, but this time... This time you get uh, a vision for it that's not just a giant glowing crystal. Uh, there's a woman uh, in front of you. She, you can see she's wearing a kind of a fancy bedazzled like Amarat style mask. Uh, and yeah, that's that's it. That's that's the patch. That's the MSQ. I was surprised by this sort of pseudo cliffhanger. Oh. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. I thought we would get like some sort of. I don't know. I just thought there would be something definitive, but then it also feels as though they are like including this with like the expansion itself as a part of the like whole final narrative, you know? Mm. So of course they've always been a little bit cliffhangery. 
I guess I just kept waiting for something really drastic to happen this go around, and like cool stuff does happen. Oh yeah, we it we just touched back with with uh, with Xenos too. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. See, see, it's it's funny, right? Again, it's great to have all these opinions with like, oh yeah, like some people love uh, Fandiel, some people love Xenos. There's I get so much Xenos fan art on my my Twitter feed sometimes mm -hmm. I, I think they're boring as hell I, I could care less about them uh and and my my brain just kind of blocked that scene out but yeah we we do we do <laughs> see uh <laughs> xenos and fan daniel as well um but yeah we i think finally i get to see the tower like the, see the, the central building and how we, we see, we see the, 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 the spiky one-dimensional image of the tower that somebody made to throw into the cutscene yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Don't don't want to don't want to have any big balloon parades near that tower. Uh, that's very bad. If there's wind, all those balloons are are, are done uh, for. Yeah. It's um, the personification of a dragoon armor. Well, no, not personification. I don't know. Structure tower towerification. Yeah. What's Either the way, word for spiky. that? We yeah. see Xenos so, so that no one would eat the building. Yes, don't eat we the eat the building. Yeah, and 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 Xenos Xenos kind of has that moment where he's like Kingdom Hearts seeing the moon, where he's like. Yes, he's yeah. like super into it. Yeah, the real takeaway here is don't eat the giant threatening tower. Um, it's not good for your and, health. And and, and the and... moon uh, is not an apple. <laughs> you just you can't just like. But it looks like mm, the size moon. of an apple. Like well, that. I mean, it... I feel. I feel like the quality of our lore and our lore casting has only gone up and up and up and up <laughs> since we started the podcast. And right now, I feel like we've really hit a pinnacle. Of, like, mm. just all the heights, literally, like, up in the sky with the moon that we could possibly reach with our lore casting <laughs> and our deep insights. That's really so what I is, feel. Yeah, so this is where we step back and let Moose make us sound professional again. Moose, take it away. Tell us about this whole ending. I mean, I do, I, I will add really quick here before. Um, I mean, I, I do think that people guessing that perhaps what we've seen is Vinat makes sense to me. I mean, the voice... The fact that we had Vinat mentioned by name in some of the cutscenes in Shadowbringers, um, that we we know at least from Elidibus that there is the idea of this heart that serves as you know some sort of vessel or grounder or summoner for um, you know these kinds of entities. I think there's a lot of stuff in there, and her look and design and mask do appear very Amaritine with the bedazzling, which is just so on point. Mm. And girl, get it? She's got the whole glamour <laughs> endgame sorted. She's had millennia to work on it. So I think there's a lot of stuff there that could say this is her. Um, and, I mean, I'm just curious whether she's friend or foe. Has she been advising the Shalians? Has she been involved somehow? Is she just now awakening for some reason? Is there I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see any Nautiluses on her, though, Rick. I mean, they're hidden. They're on the inside of the mask. I checked. I did oh, the data okay. files. So oh, I see the Wow. The mask spirals look like the spirals on Hashmal and Zodiac symbols from the Evolution games, so you know that she's actually like a bad guy because that is tied up with Leo and Van Daniel. Yeah, Moose is helping check me. Her shoes. <laughs> yeah, you gotta check the soles on the bottom. Shoes. You, gotta, right. you gotta compare it to the staff of Hashmal and the sigil of Zodiac, and because they're spirals. Yes, they're all they're all spirals. Moose, you're saying this like you're saying words to support me, but the tone you're using is not actually that supportive. So I'm gonna need you to adjust the balance a little bit here so that you know you get on board. No, like uh, um, it all comes up to the again the synchronization of themes a bit. 
I think there's only so much we can do with Vana without being like, yeah, like 2.0 to 4.0, no, who cares? We didn't even know what we were doing then. Like we were just doing random shit in the story then. Like those don't matter. Like there's only so much we can do before a lot of what we were told matters about who we are and what we do and why we fight becomes moot. Um, I think that there is a way to keep some of the bigger things along the way. We've been told, I think the one that I think a lot of people would latch onto is Ardbert told us, don't fight for light or dark, find your own path. So I think that's one of the reasons that we would have to, to agree that we should be skeptical of everyone. But I'm also like super biased that they've, I, like, I disagree with a lot of people, and this is a minority opinion, that they've given us any real reason to doubt Vana. I think we, we might have seen mm-hmm. that she had to make hard choices, that there were mistakes involved, that nothing has been done perfectly, that it's unfortunate that she's not happy with how it played out, but that ultimately she was like, Crystal Mom loves you and she tried her best. Like, that's what I always mm-hmm. come back to, is I really believe Crystal Mom loved you and tried her best. Um, and I don't I don't know what to do with that. Um, like what is, what's the major question here? Like, what can I, what, when you say that I need to help people sound sane, what's, what's one of the questions I can help people sound sane? I mean, I think that, well, I don't know how, I don't know how this adds to help people sound sane, but (laughs) when I'm thinking about you saying that you don't really know if we've been given any like really specific reason to doubt Vinat, which I mean, gosh, even Elidibus, right? Like Elidibus as a heart for Zodiac was not malevolent, right? Elidibus right. has this very honorable sense. But one I scene that has one scene oh, that has really has stood out to me, and please use this as fodder. Use it to build the next great discussion. Um, is the fact that Midgard Stormer strips us of the blessing of light. And I think this is actually to me something that kind of weighs in in that like we have to find our own path kind of directive, right? And that I don't really know if people's convictions there are times where morally, yes, I think we can say that overall as a majority and for the well-being of people, there are certain things that are not good, right? And that certain convictions are destructive and bad. But when it comes from like a general standpoint of convictions that are like to protect or help or, you know, differing opinions on societal structures and those sorts of things, right? Which we see kind of represented with like, what is the solution to save our world? Heidel and Zodiac with the ancients, you know? Um, These are like opposing ideologies that, again, kind of have to find their own balance. So us aligning with one or the other does feel like thematically it would be odd to be like, Mm. oh, yes, I know we spent a whole expansion talking about how light could also be sort of evil. But Heidelin has been super chill the whole time. She made us cookies. (laughs) It would be weird. And Midgard Stormer's choice to strip us of that blessing has always been something that early on stood out to me so starkly. Because I remember that when I was playing, I felt like I was having my special star taken away from me. And I loved that dungeon, the music. I have, if in case anybody missed it, I'm a big old dragon fan. So seeing the ghost dragon, I, I never like, would have gotten that from, from this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've stated it a few times, but let me just make it really clear in case anybody missed it. Um, I just like the dragons. So that whole dungeon stood out to me. And then the cutscene at the end where you have this, I think for the first time in the game, the thing that made me start to doubt Heidelin because I liked the dragon very much. And the dragon said, you don't need those crystals. I'm taking them away. And I was like, but the crystals are what made me special. The dragon was like, don't worry about it. I was like, okay, I trust you, dragon. 
All of these jokes aside, it was one of the, like, a pretty big moment in the game to say, this is a thing that we've identified your hero with, and now we are going to take it away from you. And that was, it just stood out to me. And of course, there are very, and, you know, there's a restoration and, and, you know, things that kind of happen after that. But I do think that that to me, while it may not say that Heidelin is malicious or Vinat is evil, right? It does kind of affirm for me that there has to be some other way for us than what these two opinions or entities might embody that is our own in some sort of way. The difficulty of our ending. Like, we, we're coming off the heels of a light can be bad in too much, in too, like, too great mm -hmm. of a quantity, too. So part of our ending is going to be, how do we find balance while being true to the themes that we've been through? I'm glad you brought up Midgard Zormer, because that is such a, like, I think that there are four or five pivotal plot points in the game that I think people invoke, but don't understand as much as they could. Uh, like when I see the public debates, not anything we've said in this discussion, but when I see public debates and Midgard Zormer is a big one. Because when you first meet him, he hates you. Like, look at the names of the attacks that he uses in the dungeon. They had to tone him down in Japanese because they didn't, like, they weren't gonna dig for that lore. But like in English, like he especially just does not like you because of his assumptions. He's been awake for 30 seconds, and what does he know of you? You have crawled up his bones. You clearly don't know shit about what's going on in Ishgard. You don't know about Ratatoskr at all, and you're just like, hey, I want to go visit the, the archbishop, and your, your kid wants to kill him. Could he not? Like, that's super disrespectful. He's the lord of, uh, lord of Silvertier Lake. How dare you? So, like, of course he hates you. And... He just wants to flick you off of his bones over the horizon into the sunset and be done with this. And Heidelin blocks it. And he is pissed. He's like, are you serious? This little ant who just crawled up the bones of the Lord of Silvertier and asked him to stop a war that is uh, like Ishgard deserves it. Like, how dare mm -hmm. he? Like. And this is your chosen? No, this is not your chosen. This is an ant. This is a pretender. He is draining Heidelin dry to pretend to be a hero. He's going to be the death of my master for no good reason. And now Heidelin herself is saying, I have to help this person? No, no, absolutely not. So he takes away the blessing and is like, prove it. Prove you're good. Prove, prove you're strong at all. Prove I have any reason to assist you. I'm here to help. Go be good. Like, that's his thing. And by the end of the story, like, his position softens to, so, yeah, I didn't realize shit was this bad. Um, we're going to team up. We're going to take it to the darkness. Let's go. Like, so <laughs> we have to unlock the blessing, but he does eventually come around. And that's one of the things that makes me actually not doubt Vinat as much in the end. Is because he's had 12,000 years to decide that he's not down with what's going on with her and he has way more perspective than we do but of course people are just going to be like well when he entered into that agreement he was tempered by her so why doesn't he like her so like, <laughs> there is no proof plan no uh, i love that i would also say that we have come so far since the last time square enix checked in on what they had written for backstory that we haven't heard the light side of the story now like before we had heard heidelin's claims but we hadn't heard zodiac's claims then we spent a lot of time focusing on the Asians. And while we 
thoroughly learned their case, their justification, their origins, their motivations. It did nothing to help their case that we should lose. Nothing. In the end, three out of three, well, two out of three really, concluded that their world was already lost and this was over. Both Emmett Selk and Elidibus said everything is lost. And that, like, uh, Emmett Selk at first said, um, like, in the end, remember us. And this is a line that didn't get translated into English exactly this way, but it, depending on what language you look at, look at it in, they take this to Elidibus. And Alphino says, like, in the end, your brother entrusted the warrior of light with the legacy of your people, too. Can't we see eye to eye on this? And Yashola chimes in, like, yeah, does the last wish of your own, like, brother mean nothing to you? And the still-tempered version of Elidibus is like, he said, what? Well, I would have told him he was wrong because my job is to correct anyone who doesn't see the truth. And if that's his last wish, he was mistaken, he's unworthy of being called an original, and I reject it. And then when you finally defeat Elidibus, he comes back around to, I can't believe I stayed here fighting for something that was already lost and let all of my brothers go on without me. And like, there's that shift in him. So I think thematically, I see Amarat as lost. I see it as gone. I see this world being what we have left to fight for because it exists. It's broken. I call it beautifully broken. Like this is the world we thrive in. This is what we exist to protect. It's the most like the world we live in. So we vibe with it. Um, and I don't think we've heard the lights side of that story again yet. I love, oh, I just love all of this because I, I think it's very easy for a lot of people to, I don't know, look at the past or, or events of the past, right? And go, well, that world is gone and this one is closer to ours. And I mean, I think it's such a logical thing. And of course you have to focus on what you have and Eden or perfection, these ideas that we've seen kind of, you know, echoed throughout the game. Um, everybody's idea of paradise will be different. There's no way to reconcile a true paradise together, but you have to all still strive for a better world together and, and a world that is making improvements and that is, you know, doing what it can to respect one another. So, like, all of that I adore. And yet I did find myself in those in those sequences, and particularly with Elidibus, and gosh, even with, like, Emmett Selt talking about it, as we started to get these more personified versions of the ASEANs, and then we ourselves realized that we were, you know, connected into all of this as a memory. I couldn't help but, you know, think to myself, I wonder if there ever would be an ending for this game where we did bring all of them back together. And I don't truly think there will be, right? Like, I think that would be such a weird, difficult thing to handle just narratively, one. But, um, you know... It's fascinating because you see things like, this always comes to mind for me, oh gosh, Doctor Who, there's an arc with Amy and Rory, and this, I don't even particularly care for Moffat seasons, but there's this whole thing where, like, he waits thousands of years for her, and everybody's like, this is the most romantic thing I've ever seen, and he waited for her, and she came back, and all this stuff. And then you get, like, the Asians, and everybody's like, they're dead, so you should just forget them. And I can't help right. but think about the fact that, like, this persistent spirit and strength of will that they embodied so far to the point that their own spirits shattered under the weight is something that is so beautifully poetic to me, you know, that they realize and Emmett Selk and these different characters realize in these last moments that that world cannot be 
And yet they themselves were trying to be the heroes for those people that they loved for so long. And Elidibus's idea and this idea of the warrior of light that he kind of almost starts to buy into and his memories of the past that he's barely holding on to and how it's all slipping through his fingers. And that line about like, it's a beautiful day and you're mm -hmm. not here to see it. It destroys me every time. And I love it because I think it is, again, like, I don't think that these are malicious people. Maybe they have gotten twisted to the point where things that are happening are bad and that the, these actions to, to kill and to, you know, all this stuff, obviously it's not good, but Vinat or Elidibus, these hearts, these entities, I don't believe that in and of themselves they are malicious. And I loved hearing your insight on that scene with Midgard Stormer because it reads very differently to me. And yeah, I can see absolutely the interpretation that you have. And it's like, there's always been this strange ambiguity around these figures. Um, and I, I do hope we get more from their voices because I think there is something really powerful about that lost world, even as we look forward to the sure. future. Oh. Can, I, mm -hmm. can I tack yeah. some stuff onto that? Remember when I went back to Cartano earlier and was talking about how uh, people didn't have enough hope uh, mm. didn't pray to the 12 enough to, to help with Dalmud. Uh, we do know we're getting a uh, 24 man that has yeah. to do with the 12. Um, mm. I, and I, yeah. this is, this is only a theory, but it's a prevalent theory right now that the 12 are related somehow to the Astians, the, what do you call it? Convocation. Uh, counter convocation. convocation. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, I really hope that that is related somehow so that while we are perhaps using the 12 again to combat this, we're actually also, everyone is remembering the Asians. That would be right. so heartwarming. <laughs> right. I'm nervous about it. Cause I, I can't like for what we've been through, I think there are satisfying ways to turn the 12 into remnants of the, of the convocation and also kind of emanations of the ones who summoned Heidel and her 12 friends, like Vinod's mm -hmm. 12 friends. And I don't know which one is better or which one makes more sense. I know, like, I wrote this down so I didn't forget it, but I'm like, I'm listening to Rook and realizing, like, if Vinod sucks past just a certain threshold, like, if she just sucks just enough, I'm going to mm have -hmm. my mortar board. Like, I... Maybe maybe Crystal Mom loves you and tried her best isn't as low of a bar as I think it is. No! It's, I mean, this is the thing. Like, even in chat, I see people saying, like, the Asians, you know, killed thousands of people. And I'm like, yes, I think they did terrible, terrible, terrible things. Certainly and did. yet, it's like, there is something, again, very human and very emotional about that drive. And I, I think that, again, like, we've seen Highland do great things. We've seen her empower good change. We've seen her even go to correct a world that had been consumed. You know, like, there are these things that I think you can see that at least she's acting in a way that is benevolent to life, you know, in, in, in a sense, what in general. As What if Sorry, she's not benevolent? Uh, yeah. So I was thinking about during, during all of this, they are just agents of change because they're tempered by the agent of change. They wanted to change something, they summoned him. They wanted to bring their, you know, that's what I'm saying. Heidelin is an agent of stasis. We, we're in this place. Do not kill the people who are here to bring the people back. Yeah, she, I think she wants the status quo of the, the broken shards and the ashen don't, right? I don't know that either side is good or bad. Those are just the opposing forces right now. 
when I when I say good in this context, I think yeah. what it comes back to is what the warrior of light would see as the positive outcome. That doesn't right. make it the good outcome, but mm -hmm. it's the one that's going to feel good to the player right. because it's what we fought for and resembles a world like the one we live in and preserves values like the ones we have in real life and therefore justifies sure. writing it as the narrative of a video game we're playing. Like, that's where I come down. I don't think it's really yeah. going to be a good and evil kind of thing at all. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I agree. And it is so complex. I mean, again, I still see chat going. <laughs> it's so hard to yeah. talk about. It's so hard to talk about the Asians in any kind of concise yeah. way. We could probably do like four different things just about their morality and their beliefs and yeah. their systems because again i'm not trying to like justify the terrible crimes they've committed i, I want to be like really clear about that um but it's also fascinating their perspective of the world we talked a little bit earlier about plato's form of ideals and, and the, or the you know that whole kind of thing with the ideal of forms mm -hmm. um and this belief that they almost have having come from the world that they did that life in and of itself right is is malleable is manipulated it's something that you know they can create or that can be can be changed creation is a whole mm -hmm. thing in and of itself and that the intact souls these like complete beings that have been fragmented and shattered are somehow the true ideal that they are the real world that is, as opposed to the shadows that have been cast. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a much larger philosophy, yep. yeah, so you yeah, have to like research it a little bit if you're curious. Mm -hmm. um, so to them, those deaths may not have the same moral repercussions. To me as a person, is it egregious and unforgivable? Yes, <laughs> but yeah. it's mm -hmm. one of those things where like, it's fascinating, this interplay of ideologies. And I don't think you see this very often in a video game because Moose, just no. like you were saying, there's a sense of what has to be reconciled as players and what we expect from a heroic narrative. And yet they are pushing the boundary in ways. And I do love to see them do that. And I'm so curious about how complex they're gonna go with this because I, I think mean, they really could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this conversation is so great because you, know, you think back on Amara, you know, them with their debate with their creation magic, which is chaos. That's straight up chaos. You could make anything you want, and they realized that, and they went, well, we have to debate about this. We have to have laws. We have to really slow this down. They mm -hmm. had chaos and stasis at the same time, and then they went out of balance, and those are the two forces that we're left with, the chaos of the creation magic and the rules and the stasis, right? And it, like, I just started to think about that, and I was like, I love that. Absolutely. Maybe. You might have just made sense of one of their earliest stories. Mm. Okay, let's really? say the will of light and the will of darkness are like light and darkness experiencing themselves subjectively. Okay. Sure. Like in the beginning, like they would have memories of what it was like when light and darkness were one, what it was like when light and darkness were balanced. But by Zodiac summoning and the pool of chaos that was required to rewrite the laws of reality, he tipped the balance in his own favor. He grew too powerful. And that's why Heidelin was necessary. Mm. Like that kind of makes sense of their own story if you don't take it so literally. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I think I wanted to add mm -hmm. was uh, uh, Rook mentioned Heidelin showing herself to be benevolent. And I'm going to disagree on at least one front. Yeah. Because um, while it, uh, the one example I was going to address, because I, I can't really give validity to any of the rest of them, but the one example was uh, her going to the first to stop the flood of light. 
it wasn't really her. It was Memphilia using her powers. So it's, I feel like it's more the person in charge mm -hmm. of that power who may or may not be uh, benevolent. I so yeah. I, I, I just feel like Heidelin and Zodiac in and of themselves, which we were basically just talking about, are not really good or bad. They are, they are a force, a force um, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that can be used towards a purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah. you know, as we talked about earlier, right, with Shadowbringers, we did get, you know, the, the Asian side of things, right? We got that, that kind of Zodiac side of things. So now, obviously, Endwalker has to give us the other side of that coin. Right. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes from Final Fantasy VIII uh, is, there is no good, there is no bad, just perspective and opinion. And mm. so I think that's really what it's going to come down to, is yes, you have the Asians, you have Zodiac, and then you have... Uh, you know, Heidelin and and the group affiliated with her, and I think it's it's going to be really interesting, right? Because it's yeah, okay. Like if we did balance it, you know, balance the scales over over to Zodiac a little bit much, yeah, okay, we do need to balance it. So we'll try this, and that is what they thought was right. That you know, that was the right thing to do. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, now, sorry, go ahead, Fusion. Finish, finish, finish. Um, and yeah, and so I think it'll be really interesting to see. You know, obviously because. It's one of those things where each side thinks that they're right. Um, and so as a player, right, I mean, n narratively, right, they're going to make that choice. So you're, th this is not going to be one of those contents where like, okay, now pick which ending. No, don't you dare. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it'll weave it into, you know, right, what we've been fighting for the whole time. But there might be, you know, that kind of little twist you know, towards the end of like, okay, maybe Heidelin wasn't as great as we thought or something, you know, so. At her, at her base, she's a big drop-kicking band-aid. Yeah. Not that impressive. One thing that's that's a, curious. That's a, okay. she, she is a band-aid. <laughs> I know. That's a, that's, a, that's a great visual, yeah. Really yeah. good. One thing I am curious about is the fact that Heidelin and Zodiac were summoned and or given form by the ancients, right? So the ideals, and I, and I mean, I think there's a lot of discussion about this and possibilities, mm -hmm. but like the ideals that gave rise to them, gave form to them, were that the values, the, the you know, souls, the hearts we see with Elidibus and or maybe if not, um, that they embodied. And so I can't help but wonder, like sitting here thinking about it, right? That like, if we need Heidelin and Zodiac in some kind of balance, would it not be better in like this kind of world to evoke them in a way or something with people that they actually serve or with ideals that actually benefit the worlds that we currently live in? Like, mm -hmm. is there, we don't know really yet if there's any true connection. Like, Elidibus was the heart of Zodiac, but Zodiac seems to be able to still exist without Elidibus mm -hmm. because it's, you know, been given form and he's collected all his energy and all this kind of stuff. But like, how much do those hearts play a role in those entities? How much do their ideals or thoughts play a role? And is there a way in which like these entities could be reconnected to the world or to, to people or, I mean, maybe disseminated, diffused, whatever it is. You know, there's so many things. They don't have to remain independent entities or wills. But it's fascinating to think about the fact that like they themselves may represent a world or order or conflict that no longer has to exist? Right. Does that make any sense? This is a very abstract thought I'm like putting together on the fly in the moment. <laughs> so... I, I think it makes sense, you know. If you if you think about it, we, we do need both 
both agents mm. of change and the status quo in equal measure somehow, you know, it'll get out of balance from time to time. But yeah, I think that that would be a, a an agreeable solution as well, you know, to break them up into something else, right? And distribute them. Four rigs were given <laughs> to the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are two points I take away from this. Number one, it's probably a good thing Ishikawa has a lot of options in terms of how she wants to do this because she's a very good writer and more options means we're probably going to get a satisfying conclusion. Um, and there's a lot of options in the air that we can speculate about that will make sense. I have my favorites, but there are more that will make sense than are just the ones I, I lobby for, which is true. I am perfectly willing to admit that I'm biased against some favorites just because I really resonated with the theme. Like, I was a 1.0 player. I was there when the theme of the game was, let's make this feel more like Final Fantasy. Let's be warriors of light. Let's fight and defend something that we love and not let it be lost, which was a metaphor for bringing this game back from the brink let's fight for this game let's not let this world we love be lost so the warriors of light meant something thematically at the time that i don't think yoshida would undermine but i could be wrong so i'm grateful ishikawa has a lot of these options because a lot of those endings even ones that i don't think fit right now could once she's done with them and yeah. the other big point i take away is can you believe we thought we were going to get yorha and xandor into this conversation no. <laughs> right i'm like looking at i'm like looking at the time and i was just like i am so glad that we made that yeah. decision holy cow yeah. uh we are we, we are full. probably coming up at about uh three and a half hours now uh yeah. for the for the show jeez louise all right um unless there's anything that we need to get out of our systems i think we could probably start to wrap it up oh oh i had one thing yeah. i wanted to talk more about the novelist yeah. <laughs> God, I swear to I'm done. I'm done. See you later. Hey, Come is that the first time Fusion walked away? 30 minutes to hit the off button. I did it. I made Fusion walk away. I think I've done it one a one pinnacle. other time. One <laughs> other time. I forget what it was. I feel like it was FF8 related. But anyway. Probably. I think the only other thing that I want to say is that... um. We're all going to see a lot of theories flying around, right? Mm -hmm. And really, when it comes down to it, anybody, whether you are um, the prolific anonymous who, you know, has had a hand in editing the lore books and is, uh, you know, the current reigning champion of trivia in Final Fantasy XIV, or you're just somebody that really loves the game. Um, when it comes down to it, we all experience differently. We all read the lore. We dig into it. We replay the scenes. We may have different takeaways. And there's really nothing that's set in stone until the writers set it in stone for us. But what's so wonderful is, like you were saying, Anonymous, like everybody has been kind of saying, there are so many options. There's so much stuff. And this story, these writers, we have, oh gosh, we are in such good hands. And that right. is such an incredible feeling to have where you're sitting here like, I don't have to be that scared about this. I think it's still going to be incredible. Um, mm. So, I mean, have fun. Theory craft. You know, dig into it. Get a right. hundred pictures of Nautiluses and print them on your wall like I did. Whatever it is, like, have fun. Um, and, you know, leave room to hear what other people are saying and mm. to do different takeaways from their opinions and thoughts and insights um, without having to feel like you have to set anything so in stone that you're not open to the possibilities. Because honestly, yeah. like, God, this podcast flew by for me. I love talking lore with all of you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so fun. I, I, I honestly, not to put any pressure on you, Rook, I, I honestly am expecting you to just put a bunch of Nautiluses on, on that wall. 
and just like not even say anything. We'll just next 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 week we'll just they'll just be there. She's like this her her expression right now is like, "Oh, fusion, you think they're not already there, honey?" <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't see them. Maybe because maybe I just I don't I don't enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I just I don't I don't I don't believe enough in the Nautilus. Yeah, I don't believe enough to see that. Fusion, you need to research more and then before you know it, you'll be seeing Nautiluses. Well, not well to see, lie. that's 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 why that's why we're gonna have you do your new weekly column about Nautiluses in Final Fantasy fourteen. And I'm so uh, you know, you can help keep me up to date with that. <laughs> can't wait. I can't wait. Um all right. That is going to do it for this episode patch 5.5 msq we did it we did it it only took us forever but but we did it we did it next week this isn't even close to forever what are you talking about forever ever um next week june 12th we are going to be talking about your hot dark apocalypse and zadnor um and uh I, maybe anything it's like the first day of e3 so unless anything comes out like in the hour before we record, probably we can just not, cut but... your ha if something cool comes out. It's fine. Yeah, totally. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, you're Wait, not wrong. But, but wow. Did it? I missed that. I missed it. Were there Did any? <gasps> I'm sorry. I, yes, thought, I thought that was being me. I'm like, sorry. Like, like, I'm like, being too if, sassy. If we're, getting, if we're getting ahead of ourselves, the only thing that I, I took away from Yorha was that people make mistakes sometimes, and it's okay. And I think that they were talking about the collaboration itself. <laughs> anyway. Love, wow. Sorry. I love Yoko Taro. I love Nier. I want to toss this in as a last minute thing. But we'll have some thoughts, I'm sure, about this collaboration. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many <laughs> thoughts. Many thoughts. Um, it'll be it'll be a fun discussion. It'll be I know I know Moose is a big Nier fan, a big Yokotaro fan, so I'm excited to to hear his thoughts on it. Um, but yes, That's so glad we. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's gonna white knight it. Oh. I'm uh, ready, right. Moose. You've already convinced me on a bunch of stuff. I want you to like turn these quests into a fantastic experience. So I go back and I'm like, my, oh. goal, my goal next week to win yeah. every over on yeah, your yeah. Home, even where they've had doubts before. Yes, yes. I'm yes. I'm on neutral. I want to I want to I want to come away from that that bit uh singing like a whole new world from Aladdin. I want you to open my <laughs> eyes to this entire sure. collaboration, all these quests, make it make sense for me. Great. All right. We'll set that as the goal. We'll see how I do. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> if you would like, you can email us aetheriteradio at gaberescape.com. You can tweet at us at aetheriteradio. You can find us on Discord, discord.gg slash GamerEscape. And, of course, we have our Aetherite Radio channel on there where you can come and talk to us about the show. We also have a lore channel if you would like to talk about the lore, as I'm sure many Probably people will after, active channel. after this episode. Um, and, of course, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at GamerEscape want to thank everybody for coming out today and tuning in thank you to moose for joining us uh it's Second i love time. these talks i love these talks they're so good uh and and yeah hold on to your butts kiddos because next week another lore cast we're just two in a row we're just we're doing it yeah. we're gonna do it it's gonna be great we uh, just don't so want to we... turn 200 yeah <laughs> we, we're gonna be old next ar proper is 200 so uh whew, we, we old the old fan. <laughs> we will see you guys then. Have a great rest of your weekend. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.